everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. What are you doing for the next three hours? Tackling some house chores? A quick viewing of Lord of the Rings? Maybe watching your kids grow up? Well, cancel those plans immediately because we have author, biochemist, and soon-to-be documentarian Rob Wolf on this week's episode. Things go about as expected when Rob sits down with the crew. No stone goes unturned as talk of technology, politics, and the sick care system, as well as Rob's former life as a vegan gets discussed. Of course, the meatiest part of this conversation is the nutrition knowledge dropped by Rob. He's gone so far as to collaborate on a documentary called Sacred Cow, hopefully coming to Netflix in July. And just a quick disclaimer, John's audio is not super great for the first 10 minutes or so. I promise it improves, but there was just too much good banter to cut. So if you stick through that, you'll enjoy the rest of the episode. Here it is, episode 357. Definitely at one point in junior high, I had a gold starter earring. Hmm? That was a real thing. What's, What's a starter earring? Yeah. Starter I, brand? I was afraid. Starter like the jacket, like the NBA jacket. Yeah, like the S jacket. star logo? Oh, I thought yeah. like what about a, a, a beginner. You know, oh, like no, what about a tongue post? Like no, starter like starting defense. Eh? What no. about a tongue post? I had a tongue post in my ear. Oh. Uh-huh. I, I was, at one point we pierced our cartilage with... Uh, push pins at a party as a so there's like 15 dudes around campus with colored like push pins wrapped around their I don't know man that was college just making making micro mistakes getting them out of the way I was just making a lot of mescaline in college so <laughs> I was on a completely different track well what were you were you taking it or were you selling it I, I didn't sell it. I you just I gave it away for the good of the people and uh-huh. haven't given away. And then in the back of my head, I was like, "This doesn't make me a drug dealer." So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you were helping people reach their spiritual enlightenment. Indeed, indeed. Probably some, you know, like full loss of reality and all that too. But. Didn't they do some pretty? I mean, I read the what was it? The um, electric Kool Aid test. Uh, didn't they do a bunch of research where they found like MDMA and also like uh, mescaline and Acid ended up curing some psychological it, issues. It, yeah, I mean, a, a pretty good efficacy in PTSD and some traumatic brain injury. I mean, it's a, you really want to go more kind of a, a modest dose versus like a full reality peel in that situation. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, where you're basically stuck in the Wizard of Oz with the, you know, with the whiny lion. You're like, oh, God. Well, when you don't know what a lamp or a chair or a door <laughs> is and you don't really know what your hands are, like, that can be... Disturbing. It sounds yeah. like a good time. Yeah, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, that soothing, raspy voice. Is that? I guess it's not raspy. That's the voice of Rob Wolf. I think Long it's a. I think it's the sounds of an angel. Longtime friend of the podcast. Yeah. Much like John Wellborn. Clean, clean friend, shaven. Longtime friend. Yeah, I didn't get the. Uh, yeah, sorry. The notice on the, <sighs> the sleeve. It's all right. Throw <laughs> a mustache already. A uh, longtime friend of longtime friend of the podcast, John Wellborn, and uh, I believe the only person to have flaked on every symposium that he's been invited to but was it but one rob did you make one maybe out of I've, five i'm pretty sure rob's been to like at least I've one missed but that's, one i believe it's you know, one. these details are hazy and it's a shame no one can keep track of the exact nobody data. knows nobody knows data yeah because there's no <laughs> photographs from those no <laughs> well we just superimposed you what the fuck is superimposed uh, i meant to bring because we the one year you did miss 
which was unfortunate. And I know last minute we made mugs like that, and there's a Rob Wolf mug floating around. And he uses it all the time. And I use it like almost every week. I was going to be drinking out of it to see if you notice, and then like try to awkwardly give it to you. We got so, you with this. It says 27. I got you good, you fucker. <laughs> I would uh, still take it too. Yeah, this this mop, no, this exact one. Um, but welcome to Power Athlete Thank Radio. I think you. does this put Rob on the most, um, I guess, the highest repeated guest here, McQuilkin? Oh, uh, behind it can't me. Can't be like Inkladon. No, behind me. Behind John Wellborn. Yeah, I'm I'm probably the most frequent. Who's, yeah, the special featured, guest, featured guest, co-host McQuilkin and Summers. But Rob, welcome back to Power. Keep stalling. <laughs> We're stalling, we're stalling. So, Rob, two Bs in the name, huh? Wow. <laughs> That's cool. We're, we're so figuring what, that out. What's your download rate these days? Oh, uh, we, we, it's about 100,000 a week, okay. which is amazing. Okay. This will be number five, which oh, wow. puts you as the all-time record holder. Holy That's right. Smokes. Mr. Cinco, as we call you. I'm happy to bring down property values Number five. Go, so. Rob, big, big things are happening here with Power Athlete Radio, believe it or not. Within the past week, we have crested the top 200 uh, I saw um, I saw us higher. I saw us in like top fifty for some. Yeah, but so here's how I track it, right? Like if you're in whatever number you're ahead of, I would say for eight weeks you can officially claim, uh, right? But if you're like mm. peak top fifty and then you're back into one sixty, so that's at least how I'm. Yeah, because I, I was looking at somewhere we were top fifty a couple yeah, episodes. A couple weeks we were top fifty. Like, um, uh, who do we just have on Nick uh, Hardwick? So the Nick Hardwick episode, I saw. Did you guys see ranked up in like top fifty downloads one week? Uh, in, in the whole fitness categories, nice. not like all categories, but we are trending upwards. So it's right. a bit, which well, is I will clearly put an end to that. Yeah, so. well, no, people yeah. love you. I don't people know. You. I don't know who they are. When we find them, we'll, we'll get rid of them. But people love you. I'm trying to and then text you. Have that page back up. So Rob, we talked relatively recently on the podcast. I feel like within maybe was it six months or so. Uh, well, it would have been at the... still in Reno. No, uh, well, um, at the symposium. Mm-hmm. So, Rob, at the symposium. But, but the I'm... last time we were chatting, it was about the carnivore diet. And it was about, we were, like, I think the Jordan Peterson's daughter, you had just yeah. kind of worked with her. Okay, yeah. Like, so, there was, yeah. like, you were, you were accepting the efficacy of such a restrictive diet. And, like, it was an interesting talk. And we spun off every direction Shocker. as well, well as yeah. is tradition. Uh, I read your... Um, the basically the, like the handout, the thing mm-hmm. you sent me on the carnivore diet, which was great. I just, how do you differentiate between like the carnivore, um, you know, and like an Atkins and a keto, an a ketogenic approach? Uh, I mean, within is it just vegetables? Just vegetables, okay. mainly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Atkins, you can have Atkins candy bars, which is important, <laughs> <laughs> and Atkins protein shakes. So this was January 2019. Okay, time go. flies, man. Holy cow. So I went, eh, no, I guess we were in Texas. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did, did you come to, did he come up here? Did we do it in person? No, he dialed I don't think in. so. Oh, you dialed in? So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, since then, things have changed for you, man. I mean, I guess, I, I hope we don't have to give you, I guess we'll hand it off. Let's just pretend one of our fresh listeners, young power athlete coming out of the weeds, they don't know who New York Times bestselling author, like, paleo uh, flagship, or Flag holder, what else? Flag holder, popularizer. Uh, Rob Wolf is like, give him a little background, I guess. Oh, I'm easily the most sarcopenic member of the Power Athlete <laughs> extended family. Um, there's little, 
little debate on that. Um, I don't know. I, a former research biochemist, I was uh, kind of like the, uh, the Forrest Gump of health and fitness. Like I just happened to be at these key places in time. Um, I had some pretty significant health issues 22 years ago, kind of discovered the paleo diet um, somewhat like you know, Fight Club ended up on Lauren Cordain's door and I was like, hey, you need a grad student. He's like, no, I don't. I'm like, no, you do. And that grad student is me and kind of wore the old man down and did a research fellowship with him. And then right around this time, I found this kind of weird workout online called CrossFit. Mm -hmm. And Dave Warner and I started training together in his garage. That ended up being the first CrossFit affiliate gym. Then we went on to open the fourth CrossFit affiliate uh, NorCal Strength and Conditioning, CrossFit NorCal, and all kinds of shenanigans and stuff since then. Yeah, mm -hmm. but you know, uh, uh, definitely have been in that slipstream or kind of early into the paleo ancestral health scene, early in the CrossFit scene. Wrote my first piece on intermittent fasting in 2005. By 2006, deeply regretted releasing it because everybody was <laughs> fucking destroying themselves with yeah. it. Uh, CrossFit four yeah. times a day, eat one meal, and I have five grams of carbs yeah. a month. And uh -huh. why is my hair falling out? And I haven't had a period. And yeah, and I haven't. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, I mean, makes total sense. Got, my periods were regular. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, the problem, the problem is we just hope for like a week. So like Luke's on like the twenty-one day like uh, mm -hmm. uh, period cycle. It's usually the one week where I'm like, oh, Luke's doing okay. Oh, his period's coming yes, pretty soon. Yes. Um, yeah, it's funny because my dude, I, I hit a, a couple of my buddies who have been around the space. You know, listen to you fans of you for a long time. Like, hey, Rob's on the podcast. Want to ask about anything? And like a sincere question was like, ask about intermittent fasting and training. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it! I, I feel like I feel like the the intermittent fasting thing. I, I remember it was like ten plus years ago. I remember we had we were on that like um, uh, that email chain where we're getting all like uh, it was uh, Lalonde and Amy Kubel and all yeah. that. We're sending all that stuff. And I remember reading all the meta analysis on the intermittent fasting. I remember hitting you up. I'm like, it just looks like real fancy uh, caloric restriction. You're like, yeah, it's what it is. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, fast forward like ten years, all of a sudden people are like, the magic of intermittent fasting. And I'm like. The Did magic of not overeating. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rob, have you seen like a, a set timeline? So we know that it's about 17 years before like practice and strength and conditioning finds its way into textbooks and research and publication. Is there like a nutritional timeline before mm -hmm. it reaches general population and popular like ABC <sighs> 13 news segments on this? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, like, Ori Hoffmankler had the warrior diet back in the oh, early yeah. 90s. Yeah, remember that? So you it was like one it. meal and then you eat yeah, some, like, what, nuts and yeah, fruit. Yeah, yeah, you'd have some fruit and nuts during the day and then one big meal in the evening. Remember that? Um, and I, I guess more to the point, nutrition definitely cycles. So like I could make, I remember early 2000s, like 2000, 2001, Atkins low carb had a pretty good peak and heyday. And then it kind of went into. Well, him dying of a heart attack kind of fucking to torpedo that whole well, thing. He, he died from slipping on the ice and cracking his head on his way to his 80 hour a week full medical practice. Oh, and was that yeah. what happened? I thought he had a heart attack. No, the vegans say that he had a heart oh. attack and he had like I heard it was a, COVID-18. Yeah, COVID-15. <laughs> I, I heard it was uh, the beginnings of 6G. Ah, yes, yes. No, that might have been 3G back then, actually. The iPhone did. I don't know if we had G at all at that point. It was just so like edge. UHF and... Yeah, yeah. 
So, it, I mean, stuff like that definitely seems to cycle. And we had our, our paleo heyday and, you know, keto for, say, like the last three years really has had a resurgence. Um, I don't even know what is kind of the thing. Definitely fasting is popular right now. And as a strategy for minimizing over consuming food, probably not a bad idea, but the people willing to fast are the same type A, they don't periodize their training. You know, they, they, it, the, the type B computer programmer who's overweight probably should do some intermittent fasting. Right. The, you know, always on, not a moment of downtime, um, you know, type A personality, not really a good fit. Like mm -hmm. it, it'll work for a little while, but people end up breaking on that. And th this was why by 2006, like I wanted to like pull everything I'd ever written about fasting off the internet because it was kind of a 50-50 deal. About half of folks were like, oh, it simplifies my life and things are, are just easier. And then about half the people that were like, dude, I'm all kinds of fucked up, mm -hmm. you know, because they were like super low carb, super high motor. Yeah. And trying to fast like 22 hours a day. And uh, a doc you guys should have on the show, Ted Naiman, he's talked about this. And um, Well, I mean, uh, you remember my 42 things I learned in like 2000, what was that, 2011, 12? 12. Yeah. Uh, it, in there, it's like, <laughs> don't try to secret squirrel this stuff with like fasting. And like, you know, I mean, people were fucking themselves up. I mean, dude, the amount of emails that we got from people that metabolically set themselves on fire by, you know, super low carb, super caloric restriction, you know, four or five training sessions. And then you know 20 hours of fasting right you know and then they're like oh, i don't know why my testosterone level is like a four i'm like what's the range you know 180 to a thousand you're like you're a four so <laughs> um, like, uh, are you alive i was like uh have you got a heart no not this decade i mean fuck it's just like uh, i'm just amazed well i guess it's it's kind of an interesting thing i'm, I'm amazed that people will throw themselves on the fire mm -hmm. and then i'm also amazed at how far people will go to not throw themselves on the fire right you know right. So it is where it's just the two ends of the spectrum, like we always see. Uh, people are overly extreme, and then folks that you have to douse them in gasoline to get them to do anything. Yeah. So, Rob, when you got a guy, like the, the type A personality who's ends up digging themselves in a ditch, how long does it take for them relative, like, to get ultimately burnt out, like, totally fucked up? And then is there, like, have you noticed a multiplier on how to, long it takes to get back to, like, Squared away? Is it a one-to-one, one-to-two? One uh, it's probably like a two-to-one, like the amount of time it took you to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it, and I would put that caveat, like if you're still in your 20s, yeah. it might be yeah. like a one-to-one. -one. The, the biggest thing that I've noticed being almost 50, I can work real hard. I can do a lot of stuff in a given day. I might string two of those days together, but I don't string three of those days together. Like by day three, like, like when I had to move my whole, the totality of my own house, like gun safe and the whole deal, you know, like by the end of two days of doing that, I was like fucking knackered. Yeah. Whereas when I was 20, I could do that for 14 days straight and then you might need a, a rest period. So I, I, you know, what's that? There's some deal like each decade you get older, like you need a, an additional 10 minutes of warm up or something like that. And eventually all you do is warm up and you don't actually <laughs> work out. Like there's, there's some element to that. So depending on how old the person is, I think um, females kind of get hit disproportionately hard. Like once that cycle really kind of goes out of whack, that can be more difficult to pull back in. But yeah, yeah probably like somewhere between a one to one, two to one. Like if it was six months of digging a hole, it's probably gonna be six months of 
of getting yourself back out. And the challenge with that though, is that if you were living like an asshole and that's what got you there, you can't live like an asshole at right. all and get back out. Like you've got, really got to moderate things. Sleep's got to be a priority. You got to be on point with your food, adopting some sort of like a meditation or mindfulness practice to just kind of pull that like allostatic load down. And then just the training volume, like you've got to be smart with that, like lift some weights, do some low intensity cardio, and that's what you get to do. And even that you need to be very mindful of the volume and intensity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've often thought about that because I feel like people don't realize they've dug themselves or burnt themselves down until it's too late. And right. then, like they look back and like, when did this whole thing start? Well, I mean, how many times like, um, geez, I, I can think of all the private clients and personals, Rob, we've done all this where you're coaching people through this and they're like, well, it's been a month and I haven't seen a change. And I'm like, you just spent 10 years of your life. You weigh 350 pounds and you just spent 10 years of your life, like abusing yourself. All of a sudden you think like your body is so resilient that in one month of exercise and like dieting that all of a sudden now it's going to like turn the scales. Magic, yeah. And I'm like, ah, as I was like, dude, you got to give at least three months and then the problem is people just not nah, it's, it's too long and i'm like okay let's get back into this right you know right yeah so. yeah and uh and that is some good perspective to have like if it took you a decade to get to this spot let's not say it's going to take you a decade to get out but maybe a year yeah definitely not a month right. you know you might feel a little bit better in a month or you may feel worse like mm -hmm. that this is the clinic that I'm on, the board of directors in Reno, we used to do initial blood work and then get their, their diet and lifestyle changes rolling. And then we would do follow-up at three months. At three months, oftentimes people looked far worse than what they did on day one. So oh. we're talking to them about lipoproteins and inflammation and all this stuff. And at month three, they look like a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And we still are not entirely clear. Like, are we increasing cardiovascular disease risk? Like there, there was a piece that there's been some speculation that um, offloading toxicants in our fat mass during fat burning, you know, could that be problematic? And there was a good study that uh, makes the case for a slow, gradual fat loss, because if you go really hard, mm. you can actually introduce enough toxicants out of your fat that it could cause liver damage or kidney failure and, well. be, you know, provide neurotoxins. So... This is where like some sort of a good, you know, we always want shit to happen fast and sometimes it does and that's great, but there's, there are legit reasons for actually, you know, having a graded approach on that. Mm, what, yeah. For mosey. What would be like the, the mechanism for like extreme fat loss? So you're talking about like, so, you know, severe caloric restriction. Just fasting. And then fasting. You know, just straight up fasting. And there are some folks that are, have kind of built their careers around recommending fasting as the primary intervention. And there's some interesting stuff. Like I think you, the, the excess skin may get taken up as, as part of that process. So there's some laudable pieces to it. Potentially the big challenge that I've seen is that people still don't learn a new way of eating. Yeah. Like when they go back to eating, they're still like the same habits, the same process. So a, a, yeah, a biggest loser is a great case study. Example. Well, yeah. yeah. But the thing with the biggest loser, I mean, like there's so many ironies in that show. Like the fact that like they're calling the people losers is always the one that always struck me as funny. <laughs> like you're like, you might be the biggest loser, but you're all losers. Like, it's just like, there's so much fucked up stuff in it. But uh, the one thing which I will say on that is even though they're probably super caloric or restricted based on what Jen Wiederson talked to me about, but, um, they do weigh and measure all their foods. Mm -hmm. So like they have an understanding of like, Hey, like I'm weighing and measuring this amount of food and this is the amount of work that I'm doing. And it's leading to this result, which I feel like is a lot better than what most people are doing where they're just kind of doing the Kentucky windage and being like, well, I think I, 
well, I'm kind of full. I'm probably ate too much or like, you know, I'm, I'm hungry. I might need to eat more. Like it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, I always thought that there's value in teaching people like, Hey, this is the, this is the quantity of food at which you eat. Like I, I even do it for my kids. Like, um, you know, when we put out meat, I, I cut out and I'm usually pretty interested to see how much they eat. Mm-hmm. So I'll pre-weigh it and then I just put it out and I'll tell them and then I'll go back and weigh the other part of it just cause I'm curious to know like how much they eat. Right. And like, it's somewhere around maybe three, four ounces of meat they'll eat. And then like, if I, but if I put out eight, they probably won't eat it. Right. And I wonder if there's like, as a kid, if we're kind of self-regulated, like, Oh, I'm full, I'm good to eat. Whereas as adults, Maybe we try to push past it, like, you know, which comes probably from, you know, eat, you know, finish your plate. You remember as kids. So, I mean, which I don't do for the kids. I'm like, hey, man, just eat as much as you want. Um, and then I'll just take it and I'll put it in some form of, you know, meal prep for tomorrow. And I'll make you eat it again tomorrow. Right. So it's not going right. to waste. Well, John, I'm going out to eat with you guys. I've thought through that in my, when I when my kids grow up, I think I'm going to order just half of what I would normally order. Mm-hmm. And just finish the kids' stuff. That right. right? becomes a good strategy. That's what I, that's what I do. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I remember, we, like, because we went hard at it had to have been barbecue, and the kids were like, "I'm full." And it was like uh, three bites out of a rib. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, well those are my ribs now. <laughs> yeah, but no, you had already gone hard. Like, yeah. it was like, oh, we'll take them leftovers. But yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's it's interesting that like the kids self-regulate pretty good. Like it, it's, uh, and I can tell like they're pretty consistent in the amount that they eat. And I always ask them like, hey, "Do you want any more?" And they're like, "No, I'm I'm good, I'm full." And uh, and like, so that's kind of a, a what pretty about fast. With, like uh, sweets or treats or anything like that. Do I they, don't know. Like, like I've, I've never let them go ham on stuff. Yeah. Like if they get all their homework done and everything's all cleaned up, we'll like let them have a popsicle. Yeah, yeah. So like we're big into these, like, I don't know, like the, the yeah, these fruity yeah. popsicle things from uh, Whole Foods and like they get a popsicle, um, which when I look at it is like what, like seven grams of carbohydrates and like maybe it's like 45 grams, you know, total calories. But, uh, uh, it's just it's just pretty fascinating, like to like chart how much they eat over the course of the day. Because I'm like, I don't know, like how much do these kids eat. But I also remember how much my brothers and I ate. And when I asked my mom, she's like, Oh, you guys like crushed it all the time. Like I just have it, but I'm, maybe it's good that my girls don't eat like my bro- like me and my brothers did. They're not trying sure. to be 300 pounds. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting because we're on solid foods now with Ruby. She's eight months old, coming up on nine months, and she'll she'll just like. I can just keep putting food in her mouth and she'll just keep hammering it. I'm always curious. Like, I wonder how much she had, like she took down on that meal. There's certain food she likes more than. Mm -hmm. Uh, Doesn't she have that gene where you don't know when you're full? FTL, maybe. (laughs) I mean, she's eating, I'm I'm just jamming fish skin in there. Slimy, gross fish skin. And she loves it. She loves it. That was like the, (laughs) do you remember the Chris Cresser thing with like the egg yolks and the liver and all that, like feeding the kids? And they're just they're smashing it. I'm like, look at them, they love it. I'm gonna throw up. This is fucking egg yolk and fucking liver mixed up in a Cuisinart, and they're just over there smashing this. And I'm like, Ugh. they had never had anything else. So no, <laughs> exactly. Oh, dude, the the look on Jamie's face of when the first time we fed her avocado, she was like, mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me of when uh, texted the Nick. Oh, I had a banana. I had a banana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think it's an interesting thing uh, to like weigh the food ahead of time and just like see how much they're eating. Cause all of a sudden, like if they, if I put out eight ounces and they all ate it, eight ounces, I'd be like, Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. See where that goes. So if I can get cash, to eat do more. they consume more without knowing during like road spurts? Um, you know, um, I see a pretty cyclical yeah. deal with our kids. Like, uh, we just moved into a spot that has a pool 
So if they're in the pool all day, they don't oh, sure. eat Crush hardly them. anything that day. But then the next day, it, it's like they just, there's nothing pinned down that they won't eat. So the, I, I think kids are interesting in that way that they will kind of let their, they'll go a day without eating as much, but then kind of catch up on the back end and kind of make that a little bit more natural. Whereas we're like, oh, you, you know, yeah. a little more regimented and structured. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm pretty sure Jamie said a growth spurt because uh, she was at Kate's chin and now she's like, like nose so she like grew where i saw her standing next to kate yesterday and i'm like dude she's gonna pass you by the time she's nine like <laughs> she's like yeah what's so. that head size oh. measure that melon dude i told you the way they they were <laughs> working on belly, they were working on belly flops and every time she would dive like her head would get her too far out in front she couldn't get a good belly flop and I was like, see if you can hold your head back. She's like, no, it's too heavy. I'm like, well, your head is enormous. <laughs> there you go. I'm like, you got a big dome. <laughs> head like Sputnik. Uh, or her body is like, she's so skinny. It's like she's like Jack from like uh, uh, Night Before, Nightmare Before Christmas with this like, you know, big head. And I keep thinking, I'm like, I'm like, uh, every time we see like the pictures of like, you know, like uh, you'll see like supermodels and they're little girls and they kind of look like ugly ducklings and they're all awkward. I'm like, there you go, Jamie. You're probably going to be six foot tall on a supermodel. She's going to be tall. Yeah. So, Rob, what's going on with the Healthy Rebellion? I mean, that's a relatively new... Pretty new um, gig. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we launched it end of last year, I guess, end of uh, 2019. And that was a little bit... I've been working on this medical risk assessment program for close to eight years. Mm -hmm. We've had some modest success with, with scaling that. But um, around spring of last year, uh, both Facebook and Google took a pretty good interest in my work, which was gratifying on the one hand and terrifying on the other because all of our shit just kind of disappeared like where I had had hundreds of kind of long tail SEO highly optimized blog posts you know like Hashimoto's thyroiditis and gluten and stuff like that like we had some really good traffic dropped by 97 percent overnight and I was kind of in this this uh, uh, Google update where it, it, it's interesting. There were folks that were really hardcore into the anti-vaccine, although at that point, nobody was necessarily beating the 5G drum, but I'm sure that those folks will yeah. have their day. But um, we were kind of like, okay, is this when we close up shop and go open up the coconut farm or do we do something else? And I, I've been disgusted by social media for a long time. Like I still dabble in it to the degree I need to, to kind of spin the wheels on the, the healthy rebellion. But we had this idea around doing a, a effectively like a membership site and providing a ton of support. But really the goal of the Healthy Rebellion is to liberate a million people out of the sick care system. And the, the kind of numbers or the, the quantifiable elements that I have to that is trying to get people either in an HSA or a MediShare. So different ways of kind of circumventing the third party payer system. We need to establish what your metabolic health is, which is what we do so well with the, the Reno Risk Assessment Program, kind of establishing what metabolic health and risk you, you know, parameters are for folks. And then hopefully you're healthy, but if you're not, or really either way, we want to hook you up with a functional medicine, kind of an ancestral health-oriented doctor and coaching support so that when and where you need help, to figure things out, whether it's general blood work or like if you're peri-diabetic and we're trying to pull you back from the brink, we need that support to be able to, to support and guide people. So it's going pretty well. Like we're doing, we're in our second uh, Rebel Reset. We have like 600 people in that. And so it's motoring along 
pretty well and uh, people really enjoy it. Like some of the, the outpourings of emotion have been mm -hmm. pretty, pretty legit. And it, it's interesting. Like we, we have people in their eighties in there and we have people in their twenties in there. So it's a, I don't know what our, our middle demographic mm -hmm. is, but we really bracketed a, a larger uh, age population than really what I thought we, we would. And a lot of people that are kind of brand new to this stuff, they're, you know, they're like, I've heard of paleo or like I've eaten poorly Isn't that weird? Life. I, and, and Luke yeah. and I talk about this all the time. Like, uh, I'll get questions like, God, oh, dude, I've answered that a hundred times. And then we have to remember there's people that are just coming on board with this stuff that have never heard any yeah. of these things. It's like the cicada, you know, it just goes and burrows for 17 years. And next thing you know, you're talking about the same shit over and over again. Yeah. No, it's, uh, that's good. I mean, can you get into a little bit about like the, um, the reset that you guys are doing? Cause I'm, I'm on the healthy rebellion. Like I get the emails and, uh, I like we clicked on and read through it and I thought it was really insightful. Yeah. You know, we really just kind of pulled the curriculum and the methodology out of my second book, Wired to Eat, which it, it looks at, we basically have four pillars, sleep, food, movement, and community. And we really feel like those things are, are non-negotiable factors to a healthy life and like we're, we're recording this during you know covid extravaganza and you look at the the kind of emotional impact that people are experiencing from the social distancing and all, and all that so the the community piece is just huge but what what we did it you know clearly i have kind of a low carb paleo kind of orientation but on the food side, we recommend a, a couple of different ways of people trying to figure out, well, who are you and what are you trying to do? So like if you've just eaten a standard American diet and this is going to be the first time trying to do some sort of a whole food approach, going carnivore is probably not the smartest thing to do or like super rigorous keto or something like that. Uh, a very modest carb, um, you know, balanced macro, uh, quality food, paleo approach. Seems like a good place for folks like that to start. But uh, interestingly, um, maybe 40% of the folks in the reset right now are following a, a carnivore diet or very close to it, mainly due to health issues like serious gut issues, autoimmunity. And I mean, these people are like, I'm never going back. It's, it's wow. kind of interesting. So we have kind of a choose your own. I can't adventure. be mad at them for eating meat for every meal. I mean, I, I do it anyway, but I mean, we include some other stuff in there. Yeah, but right. uh, like it, it's... Um, I don't know, dude, like, uh, and I know we've talked about this numerous times. Like I get nervous when people get too far one way I, I, and like the hardcore carnivore but, versus like the hardcore vegan, but, but I we, would much rather see people on the carnivore side than on the other fucking yeah, crazy I, side. I, I, I agree. It's not the first whistle stop I would recommend in like, you know, uh, uh, nutrition exploration. Like I, I would recommend a lot of other places first, but like we have this one gal in the rebellion. She's one of our moderators now. Um, Sybil Cooper, she, is a PhD in immunology. She has like five different autoimmune conditions, lupus, multiple sclerosis, uh, Sjogren's, and she did everything prior to this. Autoimmune, paleo, keto, and there was kind of a stepwise improvement. Uh, this got a little better, that got a little better. It's definitely better than um, standard American diet. And she's in this largely carnivore diet now, and she's like, I, she does Spartan races, and she's still... She needs to moderate her, her volume and intensity. She can get herself into a flare by, by training too hard. She's 52 also, but a, a fantastic shape. So she needs to watch her volume and intensity. But I mean, she was that person that was heading towards like wheelchair bound or like Nikki's mom who yeah. died at the age of 50 from RA complications. So isn't it a trip? Like when you think about that, cause I uh, like, uh, like when we're in our twenties, somebody who died in your fifties seems like, you know, light ages, years ahead. Yeah. And all of a sudden you hear somebody dies in their fifties. Like, um, 
one of the guys I went to high school with just saw passed away like a week ago. Um, 43 years old, heart complications. They didn't really get into like what he died, but it was just like heart issues. Right. Didn't even know he had any issues with heart attacks. So they think he had a heart attack in in like his early forties, which, uh, dude to me is like, you gotta be kidding me. Like he's got a, you know, new wife and kid, you know, know, four kids and the whole thing. And just like, you know, so it's pretty, like, I always think like death and like these things happen to, you know, people like, yeah, well, someone else, but like, you know, my dad was 80, right. You know, lived a good life. And, and, but then you hear this where like people in their like early fifties or or even in their forties and you're like, man, like we got a whole world in front of us. Right. It's too, it's too early to check out of this game. Right. Well, and, and that's where, you know, I agree with you that I think the, uh, I, I, I tease the carnivore crowd. I'm like, don't become the raw vegans of like meat eating. Like fucking don't <laughs> lose your goddamn mind. Do you like, remember when we had the raw meat eater? The, uh, the raw carnivore? Oh, dude, that guy was so weird. Dude, we uh, probably. Pro- I, I know this person. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pro- he came to our CrossFit football seminar. Yeah. And uh, ate all of his meat raw. And then he was, he was drinking what he called his elixir, which was like a dozen. Urine. <laughs> well, it, it was a dozen raw eggs. Uh, no yolks, just all, um, uh, yolks. Uh, it was like a whole, I want to say like a raw kefir and then it was raw chocolate and he mixed this whole thing up and he, he had them in these like jars and he was like drinking it and he was like, Oh, I don't cook any of my food. And he's going through this whole thing. And, um, I'm like, well, why are you doing this? Oh, cause it's, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, it's health and performance. And I'm like, all I know, dude, is you were the weakest dude that we were here. You had zero capacity, and you look chronically inflamed over your whole body. And the, the like, the breakout and the acne on his face was right. like, was really bad. And I'm like, dude, like, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, I would do the opposite. We had another guy, John at Balboa. This guy had to have been 45 or 50, and uh, he was a raw he was raw paleo. Okay, right. So he had it figured out. He was a a member. No, he came in for like a intro, uh-huh. and like it was like fucking. All I can keep thinking of is think of like the bat, the men in black where the alien puts on like the dude's skin is like, <laughs> and like making these weird noises. He just kept burping every 10 minutes. He's like, oh no, the raw's good. Burp. It's good working out good for me. And like, had like the, it, he just looked like dog shit. And I was like, I don't know if this gym's for you, man. <laughs> You're not going to survive here. Uh, well, it could be weirder than the guy who was trying to pay Nate to come to his house that to train dude. him. You Ooh. know, so starting strength guy, the, the, the guy found us through starting strength, but he wanted to hire a coach that came over to his house to train him in his garage gym. And uh, I was like, you know, uh, like this is outside, like what I'm willing to do. If you want to come into the gym while we're here, we'll coach you up, get you right. And you can go back. No, I want to use my equipment. I want the coaching at mine. And uh, we didn't have anybody. So, like, I, 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 Nate, I was like, Nate, you should go over there. Uh, the guy, like, would hit us up. Was it, like, every, like, three to six months? Yeah. yeah. For, like, years. Picture, hey, you guys ready to send somebody over? He even came over to the gym and met with us mm-hmm. and tried to convince us to come to his gym. And I'm like, we have all the weights here, dude. Mm-hmm. We're here. Just show up. Come train. Bang some weights. So you can go home do whatever the fuck you want. And the guy was like... Uh, and then I was like, Nate, just go over there. And Nate's like, no way, dude. I'm going to fucking end up in a, in a dress made yeah. out of human skin. <laughs> in yeah. a pit with a guy with his little dog, and you're going to have to come rescue me. I'm like, true. You should go. Anyway, well, it'd be a good, better story if you did. 70 bucks a session, man. That's Nate. what I kept telling. 70 bucks. You're poor. You have no job. <laughs> He's like, nope, nope. I like my butthole. It's a lot of In-N-Out burger. Goes <laughs> <laughs> a long way. Uh, dude, I like... Even like, uh, um, you know, when I was on Sean Baker's podcast, like, uh, like to me, it just feels like 
believe me, if you said to me, hey, for the rest of my life, all you got to eat is Costco fillets and like we'll pick one cut and cook them every day, I'm probably going to eat that. Right. But like I just find that like um, like there has to be a metrics or a matrix or just some form of metric put in place to see if whether or not what you're eating and how you're approaching this is, is resulting in, in, you know, health and performance and body composition and all these other things. Well, and, and circling back to the reset, we really try to get people to focus on a goal. And so for a lot of people, it's food, but for some people it's movement. Like a lot of people are, have some strength goals. Some people it's mobility, other people it's getting their circadian biology dialed in. And then the community piece is kind of tough right now because you know, what do you do to address that? But we're kind of doing the best that we can. But we, we really, um, on day one, one of the things that folks need to do to even be part of this is they need to define what success looks like. Like, what is success going to be for you? And then we define those metrics. Then it's like, okay, success for me is going to be losing three pant sizes and getting leaner and all that. And I ate a hypercaloric keto diet this whole time and I got fatter. Okay, we didn't achieve success on that. We need, you know, but now we have a data point, and we can we can do something with that. Then, so I, I think that defining those those desired outcomes or having a specific goal is just like so important. And it's something that I haven't been good, both individually and also as a coach, helping people until maybe like the last five years, really like getting in because I would assume that everybody wanted to do the same shit that I did, and that's not always the case. And so. That's definitely been something that I, I think has been really powerful to help people just, and oftentimes we see this all the time, you know, where uh, I want to do 18 different things. It's like, no, what's the one thing that fucking matters? And if we think about it, you know, like gaining muscle mass, that will oftentimes fix so many other things that are kind of peripheral to that, you know, that particularly the performance orientation is like, well, if I get a little more metabolic fitness, you know, a little bit more metabolic conditioning, all kinds of kind of magic happens out of that. So even though folks can oftentimes have a challenge delineating, like what is the one thing I want to do? If you look at the grab bag of stuff, you're like, okay, here's the peak of the pyramid. This is the thing we're going to focus on. But by tackling that, we're going to by extension address most of this other stuff. Yeah. I hate to circle back to this carnivore thing, but curious there's got to be a point, even for these people who are like, I feel great. What is the protocol or a system to like reintroduce and at what frequency to say like, to, to get out of such a restrictive lifestyle? Because I'm with John, like it just, something, well, I understand is, there's a blood work component. Is it sustainable? That, like I, I, I was kind of wondering like, um, and not to catch you off Luke, but like for like, let's say like, a, let's use Harry Shaw for example. Asking um, for a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> so Harry is uh, gone full, I think you saw mm -hmm. him, uh, he's gone full carnivore and I think he's lost like 30 pounds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, majority of it in his face, which is like trips me out, but he's like, he's like, you know, hey, I'm feeling really good on this. And he came and asked me one day, he's like, well, I want to reintroduce some food. And, and I'm like, how far are you off your goal? Like, what's the goal weight? And, um, if it, you know, are you losing weight? Like if it's working, then like, let's not mess with it. Like continue on this. But if all of a sudden it stalls out, then we got to make a pivot. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not a fan of making pivots if things are still working. Right. And, um, you know, but like wondering, and I, my wife's in the background piping up and she's like, well, he's going to destroy, you know, it's going to destroy his gut biota in such a way that he's not going to be able to digest carbohydrates. And I'm like, um, I think, I think we saw a point where maybe people were super restrictive and it might've altered, you know, the gut biome in such a way that maybe they don't process things. But I have a feeling that if you start eating those foods and introducing them and for a healthy individual, it tends to work. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's interesting because we have examples. There's this gal, Charlene Henderson, I want to say is her name. She's pretty, pretty damn good looking. She's like 46. She's been eating this kind of one-cut carnivore for like 22 years right. like that. And she eats ribeyes. That's it. And she had super severe rheumatoid arthritis. Somehow, I, I forget the exact story of how this got on. How did she get on? Uh, uh, what, what was the recommendation? She just figured she, out she that just, she could just eat this along? Yeah, yeah. Like it was kind of a, 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 I think there had been some discussion. Like I remember early 90s, mid, uh, or late 90s, early 2000s, early internet, like some groups that were like zero carb. And it was basically carnivore, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, it more or less. And it seemed kind of wacky to me. It's like, oh, you need some vegetables and everything. But the... There, there was just an article that I read yesterday that was, now this is in different critters, but not all organisms have a really robust microbiome. And so when you look at ants, the ants that primarily eat, say, like uh, cellulose, like, like wood fiber and plant fiber and stuff like that, super diverse gut microbiome. And then the omnivorous and carnivorous ants have effectively no gut microbiome oh, wow. because they don't really need the support mechanisms, the, the additional genetic machinery to be able to break down things like cellulose. Like they're fully equipped to be able to do that. So like that's kind of a, a, a piece. And then when you look at the health that people experience who have had an ileostomy, and there's, there's different ranges of this, but some people like south of like the small intestine, like everything's gone. And then for some people, it's just the colon. And, and uh, again, there's different iterations of that, but despite whatever disease, injury, or illness got people to having a significant chunk of their guts removed, these people don't even have the real estate to do two fiber, what in theory we're supposed to do with fiber. And they live just fine. And, and when you look at the recommendations in that, people seem to do better with a very low uh, residue diet, like a low fiber diet. And so that's kind of interesting. Like if there was, if there was this thing that was just like, fuck, fiber is just the, it's a vitamin, then it, it, people with ileostomies would die or they would have a curtailed quality and duration of life. But we just don't see that. And again, I'm not saying that it, uh, is it because you're shortening the tube down maybe that maybe uh when you shrink the amount of like tubing you know piping let's say you might not need the same stuff to help you know progress it through because i mean if you were to lay out the the uh, uh the large intestine out i mean it's pretty it's like 18 feet right you know right. so i'm wondering like sometimes when you resect it and you shorten up the you know the tunnel let's say or the pipe maybe they don't need the same kind of maybe population of stuff to be able to push it the distance of that 18 feet I, I, it, it, that's an interesting way to look at it. I haven't, I haven't really thought about it that way, but I, I, I again, the, the, I guess the main thing that I take from it, and this may be like a confirmation bias deal, but if there was something that was super necessary about fiber or about plant material, then these folks yeah. should, should we, yeah. we should see something. And I mean, you just don't like, there's nothing nothing there and there's lots and lots of these people that have been studied like what are the you know the long-term consequences of ileostomy and it, it doesn't really seem to negatively affect things um there are some people for whom like carnivore is the thing that works and they're kind of there but you know i look at myself like i'm not that carb tolerant there's a lot of foods that i don't really do that well with like green salads are not my friend if you want to see me shit like a goose like give me a big raw 
salad and like the next day stuff's not not good whereas like i can do a little bit of fruit i do like some artichokes and asparagus and stuff and my digestion is pretty good if i go too much further outside of that then my digestion is poor i don't feel good it's like gassy and bloated and everything and i've done everything imaginable like every gut guru all of their probiotics all the prebiotics and this is just where i'm at and so i'm not purely carnivore, but it's kind of close to it, you know, and I just look, feel and perform better there. And so I don't know that it, it, it's possible that we may get people into a cul-de-sac where they cut out all the, the vegetable material and they can't get back out. But we've seen a good number of people experiment where they, they weren't having problems before. They just do carnivore out of, out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And then they reintroduce things. And like, if you haven't eaten any beans in three months, I wouldn't eat an exclusively bean meal and make it like a pound of beans. So like no my joke, I did that and it was fine. And it was fantastic. Uh, dude, uh, well, <laughs> but I was worried about what well, was going to happen. Do you remember when we went and got barbecue for our birthdays? Yeah, uh, it was uh, So like this place we call Valentina's I guess we did has these, has the these drunken beans. Badass, um, they're not pinto beans. Charo. Yeah, charro beans. Mm-hmm. And With like the they're super big. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. So we, we got a pretty big tub of those. And I was like, ah, you know what? Like I haven't had beans in a while. I ate the charro beans and felt fine. Yeah. And so like I, I sometimes like I'm a little nervous. I'm like, ah, beans. I'm like, ah, I felt everything felt good. Yeah, I yeah. tried some black beans just out of shits and giggles because this shit 2020 is the year of the beans. But then coronavirus took it over because I haven't eaten beans in, I don't know, like other well, than just like not really I thinking just, on them. I just remember Lalonde talking about a carbohydrate-based lectin very similar to gluten that, yes. that happens in beans that can, you know, mm-hmm. cause gut permeability in the small intestine. Mm-hmm. But if you cook them, if you soak them, yeah. them which a, a good um, Mexican food place or or even some of the Tex-Mex stuff, they usually soak it overnight. Oh, yeah, overnight. Them mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah, them like, you, you can always tell when they've soaked the charro beans because they're real big. Yeah, yeah. So, and like, and these ones are huge and they kind of yeah. peel off. So yeah. I, I know they prepare them right, but God damn, right. those charro beans are good. They are good. You're the bean. <laughs> you're the bean. You on the bean? You're the bean? I, I thought you were going to grow a mustache. You're like the uh, like the ginger of like mustache growing. Oh, it's I'm Mr. Blonde. Is that what it is? What's weird is you can grow hair on your entire body, even your eyelids, but not on your chin, on your on your uh, lip. Yeah, God's laughing at me. Oh, <laughs> man, if if people the morning if, rest. If people only knew how frequently I have to shave Texas eye, uh, eyelids for him. <laughs> It was, do, it was waxing. He waxes his eyelids. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. That's what friends do. Yeah, I can't see. I'm glad you're there to spot me. Mm-hmm. I we, could get dodgy. I mean, straight razor or something like that. That's well, that's why I got to be nice to Luke. Pan steady. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this is my shooting. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it looks fine to me. Well, this is the <laughs> Blazing Saddles. Yeah. One of the best. Another movie that could, that could never be made again. We didn't include that one on there. I was yeah. I kept that off of the movie quotes podcast. <laughs> Blazing Saddles. God Advisable damn move. Well worn. Yeah, we did. We've been doing this morning brew uh, shtick every uh, six a.m. before training. So we throw it on Instagram Live and just kind of go. It was supposed Total. to be fifteen minutes. It's turned into an hour. Yeah, mm. it's like. Uh, we're on 59 minutes. Let's go. And then we just overrun for another 10 minutes. <laughs> Not even recording. But we'll, on Fridays, we'll do movie. Oh, right. Tr- trivia right. or topical discussions. Squabble. Squabble over who the best action stars are mm-hmm. or what the top three comedies are. Uh, what what lines that you do you use regularly in your life for movies. Right. You know? So, I mean, which is, you know. Gross Point Blank is kind of my main, oh, you know, oh, 
that is a good security one. blanket in that. I, I think the best, most accurate fight scene in all of filmdom mm -hmm. with uh, John Cusack and Benny the Jet, like that, that thing's pretty good. And then he finishes him with a pen. Yeah. And then just the whole line of, I had a certain moral flexibility. I'm just like, God, I, I really identify with that. I've never <laughs> seen this movie. Oh, You've never oh, seen right? Gross Point Blake? Uh, oh, it's, it's amazing. John, it's, uh, it's, it's a, Shiver, what's her uh, first name? Oh, uh, from Goodwill Hunting, Driver. Mini, Mini Driver. Driver. Yeah, yeah, that's Mini it. Driver. Yeah, so he yeah. goes to high school, and then he, like, right after high school, he goes into the military and becomes a uh, like a paid killer, like an assassin, okay. or in, in, so he's an assassin for the government. And then he goes out and he privatizes himself. So then he and goes Dan back. Aykroyd's in there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, Dan, Dan Aykroyd's like a hitman trying to get him, but then he goes back to his high school for his high school was like the ten year reunion, yeah, yeah, twenty years. Yeah. Was it ten or? I don't no, know. It was I, ten, ten. It was ten. Ten years. But, ten uh, years because Pivens is. Yeah, that's right, Jerry Pivens in there. Yeah. But the worst part about it is, like, now I laugh. I'm like, ten years. Like, that's not that nothing's true. happened in ten years. <laughs> now, forty or twenty year reunion is the one that uh, I've fucking missed. Shit gets real. Well, so um, the bullshit about this at graduation, there was a chick that at at my graduation that stood up and they gave her an award because she agreed to be the person that would organize all the reunions forever hmm. and they gave her this award and she got up and she's like i promise you never heard from the broad so oh. she totally took the award and sharked off on that so they did a really terrible job in planning the 10 and then i don't think there was a 20 year this chick like i'm gonna be the one that's gonna do this i'm gonna be reaching out to you guys for the next you know decades and then disappeared radio silence yeah mm -hmm. Fuck that i guess my 20 year is 2021 did i graduate in 2001 I think so. 2005 is when I got out of college, maybe. I can't remember. Nobody when I missed knows. tenure, I heard it was pretty fun. They did it at Walter Payton's Roundhouse in Aurora. <laughs> it was supposed to be a good time. I was out in SoCal, you know, Just soaking up the sun. Probably having a Cassidy's burger, sipping on a... What do we drink at Cassidy's? Uh, Irish Car Bumps? Probably. No, uh, it was Jaeger Bumps at Cassidy's. Was it Jaeger Bumps? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, yeah, the Red Bull and Jaeger. Ugh. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Making bad mistakes, you know, just doing this, the Cali life, peaking. It was a good life. But, uh, yeah, that's probably where the, the Cassidy's burger and Cassidy's grime has probably got to be good for the gut biota. Oh, yeah. Go on and have a Cassidy's burger, <laughs> probably the best thing you can do. Spe I, speaking of, of uh, okay, go on, Tech, sorry. Quick on that gut biota, I did see a meme for Encore Pool Party, and it's like, if you've been in this pool, you're fine. <laughs> Well, my for Vegas Encore. <sighs> yeah. Been, yeah, well, because nobody's going to the bathroom. Everybody's just being <laughs> in the pool. You're like, oh, I'm in a big warm thing of urine. Um, I got a filthier pool story. For uh, I think it's. I told, I told DJ that, like, there's no way, DJ. I'm like, DJ, you're fine. You will never catch anything. You lived in Will's shop for like a year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. There's a, there's a block. Have you ever been to Key West, Rob? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's a block on Key West on Duval Street. Is where like kind of like the hard charging homosexual dudes party. And oh, there's yeah. all the gay bars. And there's a bar there with a pool that like you're not supposed to go in. <laughs> and my buddy Bo did go in that pool. And like we we were the it was we were day drinking there like ten in the morning. And uh man, this is taking us back. But the bartender there was a, a straight dude, former American gladiator, 
And uh, we sat down. He's like, so what's your guy's deal? Like, oh, we're just, you know, bar's empty. We just want to hang out. So we just got friend with him. He's like, see that pool? That pool's disgusting. Do not go in that pool. And before he could finish the sentence, <laughs> Bo Colombo is like running in cargo shorts with this drink and just jumps in, comes up, and he's like, seems fine to me. <laughs> but yeah, that's the filthiest pool. And then didn't and he have like a year later. Yeah. <laughs> did he have a weird skin disease? Uh, yeah, he did. He had, he's had a few weird... <laughs> yeah, remember when he said it? I'm like, you need to go see a doctor about yeah, that. Yeah, but he, it was, uh, he got that from, in Brazil, like building, the, like, eco-huts. Uh, he got bit by some, some, uh, some like, uh, river fly. Mm. And I think it burrowed some, in, and, yeah. like, oh, yeah, it was fucking... Nope. I already showed me, and I was like... It was a fungus that was, like, on his lymph sites, on his arms, or something I'll like get that. a flamethrower and burn that mm. thing off, before, yeah. you know? His dad got him a, a, a spot at, like, a, a USD... Um, skin doctor panel. It, they had, you know, they brought everybody in for like a, a big uh, convention to University of San Diego. He flew him home from Brazil to like present him through a connection of a connection to bring him in front of this panel of the world's leading skin doctors. And they're like, interesting. And like the case was taken <laughs> out from there. And then they eventually figured out what was going on. But he, like, yeah, he just kind of shouldered that for three or four years, just weird, open, weeping lesions <laughs> all along his arm. And he could have just ordered another cocktail and avoided that entirely, <laughs> not jumping in the pool. Uh, uh, that'll get you going. That's dirtier than the Encore pool. It's got to be. Well, uh, yeah. Rob, I, uh, I feel like we had some great uh, attraction with the 5G and the COVID-19 uh, virus last week. Unfortunately, you came in and you just curb stomped that. Uh, I mean, just like I can't even find anything about it. But anybody that's like now kind of claiming that uh, has been ostracized and, you know, thrown rocks at. So I'm just kind of curious, like, like, I mean, we saw it kind of spinning out. Like, what was it that I mean, you decided to, to kick the fucking teeth in on that thing? How- uh, so I hate it when people will shit talk other folks in whatever scene, you know, it's like they drop a name. So I'm not going to drop the individual's name so that people go, go dogpile on the person, but on my Instagram feed and this thing popped up and it's, it it was basically, uh, this doctor is talking about the, the real problems of COVID-19. It's a New York, uh, ER doctor. You you sent me or I I sent it to you. You sent it to me. yeah. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, check this thing out from this uh, uh, radio frequency engineering site that shows that um, 5G is absorbed by dot, 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 oxygen. You know, kind of implying that what what this guy is saying is supporting, uh, uh, you know, this material from this, this engineering website, which he didn't say that at all. He was suggesting that people were not responding in like the, to the respirators the, to the respirators yeah. like it, this was not presenting as like the run of the mill um uh pneumonia type scenario like was they, he saying that there was like uh they were encountering patients that didn't have fluid on their lungs but they were having like uh the hypoxic yeah, 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 yeah. yeah yeah was attacking the red blood cells and not yeah. allowing extra oxygen to come yeah. by and and uh, there's been some uh, if we know anything about the SARS-CoV-2 virus now it it's there's kind of a a typical manifestation, which ends up being more the the pneumonia. But some people end up with liver failure. Some people have kidney failure. Like it's really broad ranging in, in how it can affect different people. And so this wasn't unreasonable. Uh, but he was also not remotely 
suggesting that 5G was involved with this at all. And this, this whole thing was presented as, as if it, it, this were the case. And this, this particular individual has kind of ingratiated uh, herself with like Gwyneth Paltrow and has some real like cachet within the Hollywood scene. And it, it's been since that exposure into this, you know, the kind of elite of Hollywood that, that this person wh whom I've respected in the past has, in my opinion, kind of gone off the deep end. I still re respect them for their area of expertise, but um, this thing just seemed ridiculous. And so I posted with all due respect, but this COVID has fucking nothing to do with 5G. And this is really some egregious stuff here. Like it, it just as a, a point of fact, like if you go to the original YouTube video, this doctor was saying nothing related, like his yeah. words were so taken out of context and, and the implication that like in the, the piece that I did, the salty talk that I did, I actually talked about how the fact that oxygen absorbs the radiation that, that is used within 5G telecoms, which is the exact same radio frequencies that were used for UHF and VHF TVs in the past. So it's not like something fucking new or anything like that, but uh, it, it's a, a feature, not a bug. The fact that it can be absorbed by oxygen means that we can have a hub here and then we can have a hub over at your house or your neighbors and it doesn't need to be a different frequency because the, the, the you can have high energy density relatively close by, good signal transmission, and then it just drops off. It's almost like there's an invisible bubble around it. So it's a it's a feature, not a bug. And I don't know if I'm just like wandering, you know, aimlessly on this thing. Keep but going. the um, the response that I got from oh, it was, people it was, was epic. incredible. I uh, I was I was on your page, like listening to. I used to respect you, and now I'm gonna unfollow you. And you're like, you're gonna unfollow me because I'm not confirming your crazy ass fucking this was one of the theory. things that i said to one of the people on uh, so you got huge benefit from what i've been done over the last 10 years your life has been transformed and because we disagree on this one topic and i've taken physics and you haven't then <laughs> i'm a fucking asshole you know and so yeah. like i got bent and so yeah i i it, it, it eight hours of putting together slides. I pulled oh, up my was, physics book. And, it was and, impressive. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I was wondering what your buy-in on this thing was. So oh, like, I was just fucking pissed. Yeah, and, yeah. Because and, and it's part of what the point that I tried to make near the end of this this salty talk that I did was that we face legit existential threats, like a, just this this pandemic deal, like. In the West, in, in the United States in particular, we haven't had something really significant like this for 100 years, literally. Like the, yeah, 1918. 1918, there was a 1959-1960 pandemic that was pretty bad. There was the H1N1 that was non-trivial, but, yeah. but it didn't shut things down like this. But uh, if we have a, a virus that has the transmissibility of COVID, but has a 30% Told, uh, uh, infection fatality rate, that's a civilization ender. Like we're, we as a civilization are done. As a species, we'll probably go on, but because of the impact it will have on food and transportation and infrastructure and just societal unraveling, civilization is fucking done. Well, and I mean, we, we saw it in, um, and I'm going to totally go uh, off the rails here, but uh, when Thanos snaps his finger and half of the world goes away, People were like, well, why is everything all fucked up? Like, it, you know, like it looked like the time before when he's like walking yeah. around, there's crash. I'm like, 
Well, yeah, like, think about this. Like, what if they snapped and they got rid of the one dude who, who, who uh, goes and makes sure that to uh, pick the up the trash? Power plant or the nuclear power plant or this. Whatever, and, yeah. or, or the guy that, uh, uh, the trucker that brings food here. I'm like, all of a sudden those people are gone and they've never been here. Like, do you think all, uh, automatically, like, this society's going to backfill and people are going to randomly pick up jobs that they just... Well, there was nobody to drive the truck. I guess I'm driving the truck. Right. Like, we don't work like that as a civilization. Well, it, so, I mean, if you, you remove can, a third, yeah. well, you can, but it takes, it takes years. Time. Yeah, it takes yeah, time. It takes time. But if, if all of a sudden a third of the population, 30%, like, what would that be? Uh, 110 million Americans all of a sudden were gone. Uh, it would shut down and really alter the civilization. Yeah. And the, and the so, like, we have some legit existential threats. I, I've noodled on EMP pulses, either either natural or man-made, like a, a coronal mass ejection. We had one, interestingly, right around 1918, it was or, or in the late 1800s, when all that we had for telecoms was... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Morse code, Morse or code, it, yeah, like the uh, the wire, yeah, yeah, um, totally blanking on the. Term no, what are they form, called? It, it's uh, uh, telegraph. Yeah, telegraph. telegraph. But it destroyed telegraph cables over the whole planet. It, 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 you know, these EMP pulses. It's an electromagnetic field, and anything that can function as a, a circuit gets cooked with these things. A uh, rogue state takes a small yield nuke and releases it over North America. Every unhardened infrastructure, like every cell phone, every computer, the computers that run our, our uh, uh, energy infrastructure, all of that shit goes up in smoke. And this has been well understood for a long time. Be like a billion dollars to fix this infrastructure. We, we continue to not do it. And we will get a coronal mass ejection at some point. The possibility of a rogue state, you know, releasing a... A, a, a one nuclear warhead, in, a, you know, high at Earth atmosphere, and, and the the conservative estimates that if we had an EMP pulse over North America, one year a ninety percent fatality rate. What? Because it, it, like everything shuts down, the food on the farms doesn't fucking go anywhere. Social cohesion comes on. Well, think about how many people have a vehicle that'll actually run. After EMP, you, we're good, right? And nobody yeah, else. Uh, Tex know? and me, uh, we'll <laughs> yeah. have to make other vehicles available. Shotgun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they, you're gonna see us driving around road rules. Oh, you guys. Oh, your Tesla. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> Grenade launcher. So, so part of what got me bent about that is that we have some legit existential threats that we should put some thought into, and hopefully. With the, it, part of the reason why places like Singapore and Vietnam and Thailand did better in this thing than we did is they went through SARS, they SARS one, yeah. they went through MERS. So they're like, this is no fucking joke, and we need a game plan, and we need some organization. There's also some benefit in in some ways to some of these places like Sweden and Australia, where it's a largely uniform population. Yep. It's way smaller than the United States. The United States should be like five different countries. Like well, we're so fucking fragmented. That well, it, I mean, what, what do they say? There's ten and a half million people in Australia, and the majority of them are like on the coast. I, mean, I guess like twenty two. Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, I, but that's uh, L.A. County. Well, well yeah, I, I was going <laughs> to say like fuck. Australia is roughly the size of L.A. County. And, uh, and, and then, when, and then, then when you throw in Orange County and Riverside, uh, that's like New Zealand. Yeah. It's like Orange County, like 3 million some people. So yeah. it's pretty interesting like when they were, you know, like, oh, well, you know, Australia was able to get rid of guns. And you're like, you're talking about an area roughly the si uh, population density of Southern California, not including San Diego. And uh, like the Spread population the is a, of, yeah, like of North America. Yeah, like of yeah. the size of North America. So it's just, yeah. yeah. So those are, and this stuff, 
nobody, not enough people care about those things. Like there are legit things that we should be concerned about. And just even this COVID-19 pandemic itself, I've been talking about since 2010, the Congressional Budget Office, which is this real mainstream you know, arm of the government where they do all these kind of financial projections, they had some very conservative numbers that by 2030, 2035, the U.S. is bankrupt from diabetes-related costs. And all that this, this COVID-19 has done is accelerated and compressed what was going to take years and decades and do weeks, maybe a couple of months. Mm -hmm. and, and so this is still another effectively existential threat. Like if you have a major financial crisis, like a lot of people are going to die. There's going to be a lot of suffering. And Shit, you saw oil prices were negative. They went negative for the first <laughs> time in history. I, I, I don't even know. So they're having to pay people $36 to take yeah, a barrel. I, I was like, is there some way that I, I can store this? Garage? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the oil war that's going on right now is, you know, OPEC versus Russia and the whole right. deal. And we're kind of pawns within it. Cause it's like the, you know, the world currency really floats off of the dollar, but also really, you know, goes in, in off of the barrels of oil. Off the oil. Yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, I mean, it, and, and, so and, and now we got Kim Jong-un, uh, in a coma. Yeah. Uh, after some botched heart so is that disease. confirmed? What's the deal on that? Uh, he seems very sources? sick. Yeah, he's he's sick. allegedly he, he went in for some heart issue, <laughs> and there was some complication, and they were saying that he's in a coma. I'm sure his medical care is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're like this fucking guy. But, uh, <laughs> like, think about that. Like, And that was a, a comment, like, hey, like he's a legit crazy person. Who's the crazier person sitting behind him looking, looking to come in and take that? Mm -hmm. You know, he, he did what he He murdered his uncle. To take yeah. it to to yeah. take to take the throne, so he's got to have a clone. Doesn't he have a clone? Like uh, uh, Doctor Evil, Mini Mini Me. What Could was be. that movie? Uh, uh, Moon, no Moon. <laughs> there was a movie uh, called Moon Over Paraguay, or Moon Moon Over Parador. It was a story that there was like an actor guy who like went down. He's filming a movie down in South America, and he, he did like pretty good imitation of the uh, of like the uh, the dictator, dictator, and then the dictator dies. Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Oh, wow. And he comes in, and then what he does is they like the guy dies. They bring him in to play the dictator, uh -huh. and he does it for like a couple years, and then he pulls. It. It's pretty epic. It's a good movie. Huh. Weren't we just talking about Dave as well? Dave is the same premise in the U.S. Yeah, it? it is. Yeah. I just don't know who we're going to get to play Trump. Mm. There's got to be someone. Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's fine. Who's We we were talking about this earlier. Like I saw um, and. I thought this was pretty funny that you got like Nancy Pelosi and all these people screaming that, you know, Trump is failing, you know, he's doing a terrible job and he's getting this whole thing. And like my whole deal is I'm like, uh, compared, compared to what? To what? Yeah. I'm like, you guys are, is there some imaginary yardstick that you guys have created or at least some form of like uh, success versus this? I mean, like what does success look like? What does failure look like? And do we have anything to measure it against? Because last time I checked, we have never had anything like this happen in our country. So what's the, what's the rule book or what's the, the measuring stick that all these people are using to say he's doing a terrible job? Could you Not compare it to like a Singapore or like another country? You know, like the timeliness in which they reacted we, and how they we, did? I mean, it, my opinion on this, Western society, most of Europe didn't respond the way that these other people did because we haven't been pressure tested like right. this. Like they're... Uh, it, it, whatever other weirdness Bill Gates has going on, like he did a pretty good talk in 2015 talking about yeah, the existential that. threat of right. a pandemic, you know, and, and the real... What do you think his deal is? He's got a little kind of a little dicey. Uh, it, he's interesting in that he's gone really hard into like the... the um, 
lab-grown meat, and it, 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 it's interesting for a guy who clearly is so smart, doesn't really understand the way the world works. Like, thinking that we're going to grow meat in a lab and that this is a, a sustainable, you know, future to our food system. And it, it, but, but also one of the real hamstringing features of these tech guys is that they, they, because tech is so efficacious in so many different areas, they assume that that is the solution to everything. And in fact, there may be, I mean, one of the things that could have been done really early in the SARS-CoV-2 infection is inoculating people with a, 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 an attenuated, you know, strain of the, or, or a, a very low dose. This is what they did with smallpox. George Washington inoculated his army with smallpox uh, because 90% uh, of the people they were losing was from various types of disease. And most of the British soldiers during the Revolutionary War had already been exposed to smallpox. They were using inoculation at that time. It's a real rudimentary, I mean, it's basically like, you cut each other and you kind of rub and you hope for the best, you know, and there are, there are better ways of, of dealing with that. But we had some really um, legit, uh, so the information coming out of China definitely painted a picture that older people were more at risk, yeah. metabolically challenged people were more at risk. Could we make a case for inoculating people so that we get a pool of folks that we could use convalescent serum for frontline people and, and as as a way of pulling people back from the edge. Like there, there hopefully will be some game plans around that. All of that stuff gets really dodgy though, because even though that would probably save a ton of lives, let's say the, the four of us signed up to do that, there is a chance that one of us would die yeah, doing that. And then the liability. Know, and then the liability. And so like the, the, the liability around doing what is fucking right and what is smart is going to hamster, like in this attempt to have absolutely no risk exposure, Nobody's going to die. There's no risk. Then you do effectively nothing good. You know, there's always got to be some uh, thought around like the, the cost benefit risk risk reward deal. And so we had a lot of options, but we haven't had our, our feet held to the fire. We haven't been through this. So I, I do think most of the West didn't handle it particularly well. Um, Sweden, again, seems to be doing a pretty good job. Germany did a pretty good job. And also they have some interesting favorable demographic stuff like most swedes live yeah. like a disproportionate number of adult swedes live alone so like they're already yeah. fucking social well and, and also uh just like um, i remember i told the story on the podcast before we were, we were doing a seminar over in uh in sweden and norway um and i think we, or either denmark but it was somewhere within there and i remember i sat next to a danish guy and uh he was like uh, it's always amazing to me how well-versed people are that are not Americans mm -hmm. on what's happening in the state of America. <laughs> like, I can't really tell you what's going on in Denmark, in Denmark in terms yeah. of like, you know, the president and like, you know, they, you know, like, I don't know what like the social issues and my grandparents are from there. Like, uh, like it, it's just not something that pops up within like my daily, you know, filter. Uh, this guy's like handling of not only like the U S economy, the state of this and the whole thing was pretty impressive he made an interesting point. He goes, how in the world could you guys expect to get into a pool of standardized healthcare with a whole bunch of people that don't care about their health? He's like in, uh, in the countries that we're from with Sweden and you know, the whole deal, um, standardized healthcare works because if you're, uh, not exercising, you're overweight, you're eating too much, you're doing something, you become a drain and people ostracize you. And so there's this whole thing where and it's nobody like, nobody understands that. Like people will like shit talk you and yeah. berate you. And, yeah. and, uh, like, yeah, like it's just, uh, like if people are 
over-consumers and they don't exercise and they become a drain. He's like, they are ostracized and there's like a national identity that you doing that doesn't just affect you, it affects everybody. So when we were in in, in Denmark, uh, we parked somewhere and there's uh, the parking meters, uh, there's a clock, and then on the inside of your car is your parking meter clock. And so what you do, like if it's noon and it's 20 minutes of parking, you put your thing at 1220 and it's all honor system. But if you, and it works really well because everybody follows the rules. But if you don't follow the rules, like a a drunk driving deal in, in Denmark, you get one and you're in jail for five years. You get two and you're in jail the rest of your life. There's no like Max G. Arnold, like the the high dollar attorney that gets you out and everything. So there's lots and lots of freedom, lots and lots of good shit. But there's also the uh, one of the folks that we stayed with in Danish. There's this saying um, uh, in Denmark, there are no curtains. Everybody knows everybody else's shit and everybody is involved with everybody else's shit. And people are fucking busybodies. And in the U.S., even the busiest of bodies like Berkeley busybody is not going to be comfortable or don't really understand the level of kind of yeah. social censoring that goes on to be able to make something like that work. Yeah. The, uh, I remember, uh, talking to these girls and the one girl had like, uh, her apartment was on the third floor. So she had to ride her bike to the store and then she would have to carry her stuff up three flights. And they, uh, like, there was a petition or something to put in like a, um, like an elevator mm-hmm. and they were going to retrofit in this elevator. Uh, nobody contributed because they were like, well, if we give you an elevator, then you're not going to exercise. And so like, it was this huge thing. And she's like, I can only bring up small loads. And they're like, well, that's what you get for living on the third floor. It was just interesting that they didn't want it because they were nervous that people would get lazy. Right. You know, just like if you ride a bike, uh, you know, if you're in Denmark and you, you know, you see the bikes going by and this, and it's like, if, uh, if you can ride your bike there, you are assumed to ride your bike, not to take a car and be lazy. Right. So it's just a completely different mindset. But this guy was like, how can you have standardized healthcare with a whole nation of people that don't care one about their neighbor, but don't care about themselves. He's like, this is a losing proposition. I would never do this. He's like, healthcare should be the most expensive thing in this country so that people value their health as a way to lower it. Not just fucking, uh, um, you know, uh, erode the system from underneath. And I was like, Man, that's probably far the most intelligent (laughs) thing I've heard in a long time. And the guy was super switched on. Uh, I just remember like that piece. And whenever people are like, oh, you know, the Bernie Sanders, like healthcare is a right. It is a right. But you, but there also has to be some form of equal street where it's like, yeah, there's to be accountability. Okay. If this is your right now, your right is to make sure that you're healthy, you exercise, you don't eat like a slob. And you know, like the, I think, uh, the, the biggest misconception and we get into this is like, oh, you know, big is beautiful. And you know, who are you to tell me how to live in this? And I'm like, regardless of how you think you feel, we know that excess fat is oxidative. And we know that all of these, you know, uh, uh, illnesses from, you know, everything that looks like obesity are a real deal. Like, you know, we don't have to argue that just because you've taken this stance doesn't mean that it's a fucking right. And I should support it. it. And if we were to transplant these people into these, uh, generous, um, social welfare programs, they would get an ass chewing from everybody every day, all the time. It wouldn't be like, Oh, that's great. You're going to cost us an enormous amount of money. Fantastic. Bring your, your peri-diabetic self right on no, over. People here, are like, you know? dude, you're, you're going to, not only are you going to uh, erode our money, but we are also going to take away all of our available resources because right. you don't fucking care. Right. You know? And, um, the one thing, and, uh, this is the one thing I do appreciate about Lane Norton. There's not much else, 
But the one thing I will say is he's pretty good on like, hey, man, like uh, it's not as complicated. Like, you know, everybody's looking like, oh, I'm carbon tolerant. They look for this. He's like, a lot of things just fix it. You don't need as much. Right. It's <laughs> not as simple as that. But like for the most part, he's pretty accurate. And he's been, you know, uh, you know, beating that war drum for a long time mm-hmm. when people pop into this whole I'm hypoglycemic. And I'm like, this is all bullshit. Hmm. So then you look at the seven day carb test and people have shockingly different responses to different foods. Mm -hmm. Nikki and I will eat the same, you know, 50 grams of rice and my blood sugars will be borderline diabetic, 190, 195. Hers barely pops over 110. So, and she's 40 pounds smaller than I am. So I I do appreciate Lane for many things, but I think that if we could get a little bit of a, yeah. It, it, it's interesting when there is minutia. There is minutia. Yeah, yeah, there is minutia. But for the most for the most part, most people just are over consumers. Yeah. Can you Absolutely. talk about yeah. your first experiences with the carb tolerance tests and any calibration that that you went through to find out what you talk about in Wired to Eat? That little ditty and the sound of my smooth, sensual, yet strong voice means you're about halfway through our chat and you've earned yourself a little brain break brought to you by our friends at Train Heroic. And I know you're like, Callie, your voice is smooth, sensual, yet strong, but what does that have to do with Train Heroic? And the answer is it doesn't. But here's why we at Power Athlete think it's important that you're aware of what Train Heroic is capable of. Their whole jam is to empower you to train without limits. Sound familiar? That means that you can take your little gym business or side hustle and absolutely blow the fucking doors off of it. Their immersive training solutions allow you to train athletes from New York to Nicaragua. And FYI, if you consult a map, those places are really far from each other. Gym space is not an issue. Distance, not an issue. And scheduling, well, we already know that time is an illusion, but it's even more illusiony with Train Heroic. With Train Heroic, you can provide an engaging, flexible, and affordable training experience for your people wherever they are on this flat earth. They provide everything you need to look like a pro, even if you're a complete Luke Summers, and transition into this brave new world of online training. The best part is that they give you a fortnight of free usage. That's two weeks for anyone not born in the 1700s. And when that wraps up, you can keep the party going for the price of a Chipotle burrito. But wait, there's more. A burrito without guac. The whole crew uses Train Heroic and has done so for years. There's a reason we are taking the time to mention it, and it's not because they promised us a party barge or a suitcase full of collectible beanie babies, uh, baby tigers, or anything else that you deem to be extremely valuable. It's simply because we like them, we use them, and we believe in what they can do for your business and your athletes. Power Athlete has grown by 50% for the last four years because of Train Heroic. And in the words of one of my old coaches, you can't argue with results. Head over to trainheroic.com, click on the free trial button in the upper right-hand corner, and get started today. Now back to the show. Yeah, so it was work that came out of the Weizmann Institute in Israel, and it was just some amazing research where they tracked the gut microbiome, they... They did really extensive biometric testing, and then they started uh, genetic testing, and then they just started feeding people different types of meals and, and different amounts and types of carbohydrate. And what was interesting 
is that there was, uh, where when you usually look up like the glycemic index or the glycemic load for foods, there's these very like written in stone things and shit was all over the place. Like one person would eat a banana and their blood glucose would just flatline. It was like they drank water. Another person ate a banana and it was, you know, 180 or something after, after eating it. Another person would eat a chocolate chip cookie and same deal. They had awesome blood glucose response to it. And then somebody else, they would have a sky high blood glucose response. Were there response. any factors? I mean, I know we discussed uh, metabolic flexibility to nauseam. But I mean, was, was it a fact that the people that tend to carry the least amount of body fat and the most amount of lean muscle mass and the greatest ratio tended to be the most carb tolerant people? I think that there was trends that way, but it wasn't, the thing is, is it's not necessarily uniform. So it, it, it wasn't a hundred, like, and this is where like for myself in the experimentation, like I'm reasonably lean, I'm pretty active and like, you know, 50 grams a day, most days, if I have a really blistering jujitsu session, maybe I'll, I'll sneak in a hundred grams, but, um, I, I don't, do, but I won't do it. I'll do it one day, but I won't do it two, three, four days in a row. Like I, I'll start feeling like shit and the hypoglycemic kind of, kind of blood sugar roller coaster and all that. So, I mean, that was really the thing that got the, the notion that there really is a legit difference from person to person. And, and, you know, honestly, they, attributed a big chunk of it to uh, uh, differences in the gut microbiome mm. and kind of gut health. Yeah. But it's not just like person to person, it's food to food, right? Like, yes. yes. So that, that's yeah. the tricky thing. I got a buddy who's, uh, him and his girl are obviously keto now too. And I'm like, why? He's like, I, I don't know why we're doing this. Everybody's. She wants to lose weight. And uh, he's like, well, I, I heard that I can have 20 grams of carbohydrate and be keto. And I'm like, you know. Are you getting? Yes. Your, are you doing your <laughs> your ketone strips? But uh, long story short, is I, I put them your way. I'm like, mm. hey, get this book because I think she's doing this because she wants to like you lean know, out, lean out a little bit, and uh, get this book, and it's just going to make your life a lot easier when you know your when you know your boundaries. You just you can comfortably stay within them, and, right? And with confidence, and uh, you know. So I'm curious if he's going to do it. I don't know if he has yet. But uh, he's not doing too well on the keto. He's got the keto flu and the shits and stuff like that. So I'm trying to push him. Is he doing his electrolytes or? I've pushed him salt okay. and element. And, you know, the, um, but they're just, you know, I forget. I forget how this is his first foray yeah. into any into sort any of, of this. Any yeah. this. And like, of course, they've just kind of been standard westernized diet. Uh, he's Italian. So he's, you know, very carb dense. Mm-hmm. And now he's going like just pull full ripcord keto. Man, the um, the things like, we do for love. No, like I, <laughs> I think what's really fascinating on this is uh, when people tend to make these lifestyle changes, like they go to a keto thing. Now all of a sudden they're like, "Hey, I'm I'm preparing my food and this," and they kind of get into this like uh, you know almost knowing what's in their food, and they're like, "Oh, I feel way better." And I'm like, "Well, yeah, what were you eating before?" And he's like, oh, we're eating pizza a couple nights a week. We're eating takeout. We're doing this. So, like, that was always where things, and we see this all the time with the vegan stuff. They're like, oh, I'm so much healthier now. And it's like, well, it's not. <laughs> it's healthier than the shit you were eating before. Right. 22 peanut butter cups? Yeah, yeah. And now all of a sudden, oh, you know, and then they're like, oh, this vegan diet. I'm like, well, is the fact that you're not eating the peanut butter cups? And, like, now all of a sudden that you have to, I mean, because... If you look at the oh, volume of food, yeah, <laughs> the, like when we looked at, like when I looked at the vegan stuff, the volume of food that you would have to consume to be able to get it's like, ridiculous. Uh, yeah. like to eat uh-huh. 4,000 calories or 3,000 calories on a vegan diet that doesn't look like I'm eating seven avocados. 
Like there's no way. Like right. I, I like you're. It's just I, like you'd be like a kid. Like that's why um, like the horses and the cows outside. Like they literally graze all, all day. day, and they eat their own poop. Yeah. To, to get the nutrition out of it, you know. Oh, like, so so I uh, uh, Lou eats dog horse poop as well. This is a uh, confirmed. Yeah. Vinny does. Uh, well, I took Lou for a walk, and dogs he was love that shit. Going to town. Uh, yeah. It's because they. Um, I don't know what it is about their poop, but it's. Uh, I mean, it's just. I, I, Dutch has never. It's pretty good. I, I've tried it. Like. It's not bad. Um, the like the, the the one interesting thing I was thinking about you on this is um, so I, I put out all this bitch in winter rye and it grew real tall so we let the neighbor bring in their horses so she's been bringing them in there for like maybe four or five hours a mm-hmm. day and so she's got fifty horses they've worked through all my pastures and then we went back and we tilled it and cut it all up um, and what was cool is when we tilled we broke up all the poop the amount of birds oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. showed up like there are thousands of birds that are just going crazy, okay. like digging down. And I keep thinking about the, uh, you know, like the re- like the regenerative nature of the soil, yeah. you know, with like ground nesting birds and this and the animals. And I'm like, man, I'm so excited to go put down more seed and see what else can happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. But like, it was like, a, like there were so many birds. I'm like, Jesus, there's like thousands of birds in the pasture. It's pretty neat. So going back to the vegan thing or vegetarian thing, Rob, you were a vegetarian for a little bit. Vegan right? for vegan a bit. Yeah. A was this yeah. Yeah. vegetarian and vegan? Uh, it, I mean, who knows? It, it, Nobody knows. Yeah, I mean, cheese, penis. Yeah, I mean, some people say they're vegetarian and they eat fish and they eat chicken. I mean, it's a. It, it, I, I guess it, somebody made a really uh, good point that um, there's vegan and then all the rest is bullshit. You know, it's <laughs> it, it's just like trying to make bullshit deals with the the universe or something like that, and that that's really the only the only you know legit delineation on that thing mm-hmm. so yeah what, so give us yeah. some like uh like what were your meals like back then back in the good oh, fuck, days. dude like i went to the georgia shawa macrobiotic institute and learned how to like soak and ferment you know like beans and rice and uh could make hummus like when i first met nikki she was vegan at the time and i knew how to cook all this shit and she's yeah. like wow this dude's pretty legit you know i mean you look at her and you look <laughs> at me and you're like why on earth did she marry him? And it's because I can cook, you know? I'm not uh, I don't know. She's a dirt worshiping hippie. But pretty, pretty hot, too. And, um... Uh, I just imagine Nikki with, like, Birkenstocks and, like, dreads in her hair and, like, some weird, like, yarn things and, like, hemp pants. And it was a good look for it. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I I just argue about bathing it, yeah. in patchouli. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I was super good at putting that stuff together and, and I was still trying to maintain my powerlifting stuff and everything. And I would eat 4,000 calories a day of beans and rice and like, it would come out of me exactly the same way it went into me. Like shit out of a goose. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it because 4,000 calories of it, because this is one of the things that really chaps my ass about people in vegan land where these guys are like, well, it, it, so they're, they're, they're big, they're jacked, that's great. Well, what, what type of, like, protein concentrates are you using? Right. Oh, well, I do, like, you know, 18 of these shakes and everything. It's like, okay, so you're using mm-hmm. a meat replacement. Mm-hmm. And you're putting just as much energy and yeah. environmental damage, probably even more, versus, like, raising meat. So that's bullshit. And I, I thought that that was total horseshit. If you're yeah. going to do it, whole food should be enough. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And it, you shouldn't necessarily need a, a bunch of protein powders and shakes and all that stuff. But a couple of, couple of things I had caught Giardia prior to this. And I think that that set me up, you know, with like really wonky guts. 
I was living in Seattle and, and this was way before like sunlight, circadian rhythm and vitamin D was on my radar. I suspect my vitamin D was barely above rickets level. Like it was probably really bad. And uh, the, the combo of that plus a diet that even still to today, like mm-hmm. I wouldn't do well on it, like under the best circumstances, but um, it, it was a lot of different things. It wasn't just the, the deficiency of the vegan diet, but it was lack of sleep, being in these graduate programs, sure. you know, I mean, it was a bunch of different things, but it was interesting. Like I ate as much food as I could and I went from, did party. you enjoy it? Like, was it tasty or yeah, it tastes great. It tastes yeah, it tastes great. Like the, I don't know, no dramas with that stuff. Yeah. You know, I could make really good tasting food. There was no, and that's kind of the funny thing when people freak out either on like the low carb thing or the vegan thing. It's like, there's lots of good fucking food either way you cut it, whether yeah. it's high carb or low carb or, or, or whatever. So I, what I would your appeal silly. to start this diet? I, just really experimentation. And I mean, you're in college and everybody's suit, you know, that was kind of the, the cool bourgeoisie thing to do was go oh, Chico. vegetarian yeah, and yeah. vegan and all that stuff. Dude, you were at Berkeley. Hey, fucking, uh, you yeah. just had better sense than it's, I did. It's you, called you, uh, you. virtue signaling. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I like I just remember when people were like, uh, you know, um, I always thought that the vegan vegetarian thing was just uh, for chubby girls in college that just wanted to eat soft serve. So, like, at the D.C. in our dining commons, they had a soft serve machine. These girls would be like, well, I'm vegan. And I'm like, okay, so, but you're over there crushing the soft, well, yeah, this is vegan food. And I'm like, it just happens to be that the diet that you want to eat is the one that includes all the sugar and the sweets that your mom probably never let you have at home. So, this vegan diet thing is, and then all of a sudden they pack on, like, 30 pounds. And then they go away, go home for Christmas and come back, and their mom's probably fucking went ham on them. And they came back, and, like, all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, stop this vegan thing. Yeah, uh, one of our, our nutrition coach. Ben Skutnik, he was vegan for a while, but he was doing like a triathlons. So he was eating like, he's going to listen to this. Maybe he'll correct like 30 bananas pre-workout and then like six cantaloupes and 12 pineapples. Like the most, it's some dude's protocol. It's like, uh, is, one it, of the, is it like the 30 bananas a day? Probably. Rock yeah. 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 It's that guy. It's definitely yeah. that guy. That guy it, hasn't ever shit. Like, I don't know if you I guys couldn't imagine, dude. When I you, just when you have eating. when you have little kids, you will know that bananas are like glue. Right. Like, right. like if you're if the baby has diarrhea, feed them bananas because it just glues them up. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't imagine eating four thousand calories of beans and rice, man. Like, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, they're like there's a thirty bananas a day dot com. Yeah, yes. yeah, that guy's a this, fucking. Crazy. I didn't know this was a thing. He's a yeah. crazy person. I'm pretty sure I only know this because Rob has done battle with this guy yeah. numerous of times. Oh yeah, yeah. He... Oh, the high carb raw vegan lifestyle. Has anyone yeah. tried thirty one bananas? Like, is dude, that it? Dude, Rob, like, I've seen Rob battle this dude for decades. Like, ah, like, it's like Skeletor coming At it up. again with the bananas. <laughs> Didn't we get rid of this? And he's from Australia, I think. And well, yeah. he was a drug addict who got on the government dole and then has built himself a, a non-trivial social media reach. Like and, an empire and, of banana yeah, followers. Yeah. Uh, his his shtick. Yeah, Scott got, or he got Scott. His shtick on his t-shirts is go fruit yourself. Mm, that's funny. Yeah, that is funny. <laughs> Fruit this. <laughs> what a douche. Yeah, so I mean mine was kind of experimentation sure, and sure. it ended up being pretty pretty 
bad for me. <laughs> um, you know, my, my, uh, so it, what's interesting. So I was definitely having a ton of health problems. I mean, like depression and, and, I, and I went from 180 pounds, reasonably lean and muscular. I mean, I was close to a 600 pound squat at, at 180 pounds and I was like 130 pounds yeah, yeah, from yeah. malabsorption and like my nails were split, my hair was falling out. Yeah. And I kept going to these, uh, like John McDougal, doc, what do I do? Well, you just got to hang in there. You're detoxing and everything. Like I was fucking dying. And this is one of the things that makes me want to murder these people. Yeah. But you um, just, you just have not emotionally committed to this. Yeah, that was, was that, that was, that was largely so was the thing. Uh, yeah. yeah. They like, there's a whole thing with, um, uh, like, and I've, I only know this cause, uh, the vegans and I have done fucking battle numerous times, but there's this whole like virtue signaling of like, you know, once you release like the demons of the past and then, then you're okay to walk on this path and they use it and be like, well, maybe, you know, it's the things you've done. And they kind of point to this shit where I'm like, this is bullshit. Like this is all fucking self-serving whack jobs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, um, what was my point prior to that? Uh, there's a lot of food. And you were a shitting lot of a lot. Food, I was shitting a lot. Nails were split, hair fell out. My mom called me. Oh, yeah. And, and she, what she, had, yeah. she had a bunch of, she had similar health problems, but her rheumatologist, who ironically was the same rheumatologist who was dealing with my wife's mom at the time, figured out that uh, my mom was intolerant to grains, legumes, <laughs> and dairy, and that it was likely the precipitator of her rheumatoid arthritis. And my mom was telling me this, and I'm like, no grains, no legumes, no dairy. I'm like, okay, I get the dairy thing because I'm vegan right now. So you don't eat dairy when you're vegan, but I'm like, no grains, no legumes. Like what the fuck do you eat? You air, know? Air, yeah. You, you, air and water. Breathitarian. Yeah. But <laughs> Breathitarian. I, 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 I was sitting there outside talking to my mom and I was like, what do you eat before? Okay. Grains and legumes. That's like agriculture. What happened before agriculture? And it was literally this like, you know, flow of consciousness. I'm like, paleo, paleolithic diet, what cavemen ate. And I'm like, I've heard something like that. This is 1998. So I got off the phone with my mom, went in, turned on my computer, wait for the computer to turn on, wait for the dial up. AOL. This, this, no, it was a brand new search engine called the Google, you know, oh. and, and uh, put into it paleolithic diet and found some work from Art Devaney and Lauren Cordain. And Cordain had just published this uh, really uh, amazing paper, uh, Cereal Grains Humanities Double-Edged Sword. And it just went through and described all the like gut issues, malabsorption, um, evolutionary incompatibility. And I was like, huh, that makes sense. And so I went to Whole Foods, got a rack of beef ribs, uh, got some, got, uh, uh, grabbed some, some cantaloupe, funny enough, and, and had uh, ribs and cantaloupe. And I, I, that night, after I ate that night, literally, I mean, it was probably five pounds of ribs that I just ate over the course of like three hours. I slept better that night than I had in years. Like I had, it, it was in, it, I think it was because of the depression and the nutrient deficiency and the inflammation. I wasn't really sleeping. You know, and like that night, it was like it came to like 12 hours later. And I'm like, oh, my God, I feel great. You know, and like, I, feel like new- <laughs> I, I had like a reasonably formed bowel movement that mm-hmm. day, which was the first time in years. You Do you know? remember the date? Like, is it on the calendar? Is there it, like it's a not on the calendar, but it, it was the, in it was in 98. Yeah, it was a night. I, I suck at keeping track of stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But it was it was in 98. And, and uh yeah, so that's kind of the full circle on all that stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, fuck this shit. And 
got it uh, turned on to Art Devaney, clearly uh, uh, Lauren Cordain's work, um, Mike Eats of Protein oh, yeah. Power, yeah. Protein Power Life Life Plan fame and all that. And, I yeah. still go back and say uh, Art Devaney, who uh, I remember you called me, you're like, he's like Superman's granddad. You're like, whatever that guy's doing, we just need to do yeah. what that guy does. What's he up to yeah. now? I, I remember because... The name from back in the day from Paleo Solutions. He's like 82, and he's working on another... Pushing his car up the driveway. Pushing his car up the driveway. <laughs> uh, dude's like super yeah. jacked, like good yeah. shape. He does two meals a day, like a really big breakfast, and then he waits about four to five hours and then trains, trains really hard. A couple of a hour to two hours after that, then he does a, a big dinner. And yeah. so he does two meals a day. He likes to, he likes the balance of... Um, really aggressive feeding when you eat and then long periods of time in between, but not super, super long because he's like, I'm 82 years old. I don't want to lose muscle mass. This is my hedge against aging. So like, there's absolutely no reason for me to do multi-day fast. It's not going to do any, any benefit for me. I get all this. Has he already always done the two meals a day like that? It, 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 not always, but it's been something that he's kind of cycled in and out of frequently. Like when I first started following him, it, it was in 98. So he was in his late fifties, early sixties at that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I remember he definitely had that like one big meal. I also he um, I also remember him like uh, having like a training and then a big meal and then like not eating dinner kind of mm-hmm. deal, like mm-hmm. uh, like a late afternoon. Yeah. Which I always I, I always would that. rather eat all my all my uh, um, calories in the morning and yep. kind of early afternoon. But then the problem is the social okay, aspect like, of family of dinner. Yeah. Like if I sat there and don't eat, my wife's going to be like, "Why aren't you eating?" And then the kids are going to want it, and they're right. like, uh, "Okay, this this doesn't work that way." Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Art's a super smart guy and really uh, uh, just super far ahead on this stuff, like twenty years ahead. Yeah. When you reintroduced ribs and meat, like we talked about, Luke's friend who's his girl is forcing keto on him. Did you have to make any appeal or argument to get Nikki back on oh, this animals? This was pre Nikki time, oh, so okay. no. And uh, this is I when was, he was still like a rudderless ship. Yeah, it wasn't until yeah. Nikki found him just floating in the harbor. <laughs> that is far closer to the truth than what anybody would ever realize. But um, yeah, I, I was single at that time, and so it was just kind of on me to to do it. But um, some people say, oh, that I had some problems adapting. And some people maybe have some low stomach acid. I think most of it is psychological, though. Like, people just get kind of a psychological aversion against meat and animal products. I had no such problem, particularly after I had, I had like, slow-roasted these ribs for, like, two and a half hours. And My neighbor's, like, uh, yeah. she, she's a vegetarian or vegan. And um, she told me that the thought of, like, uh, like, eating meat, like, reminds her of, like, like eating a thigh, like, and she was trying to explain this to me. I'm like, yeah, no, that's a good thing. She's like, no, it like, I think I'm like eating like my thigh and this, I'm like, yeah, no, that's straight meat. That's good stuff. And uh, she was like, look, I'm like, yeah, no, no. I mean, I literally think about where it comes from as I'm eating it. And I'm stoked that I got to cook this. Like, I want to know exactly the part it came from. If I got to go meet the cow ahead of time and be like, thank you for your contribution. Uh, I would be totally in. Um, and she was like looking at me she's like, I can't believe that. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm taking the exact thought process you have. And that actually makes me eat more eat meat. Right. right. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, I wish that the food came with names. Like this was sparky. Well, and at some point with like blockchain and stuff that that's where like, we might open up the, the, the food system. Um, so that we don't need these kind of like, uh, USDA structures. Like anybody should be able to get like USDA, meat processing certified, like a, a, a facility like this, like you could have it all 
sterile and uh, with things like blockchain, then you can have sourcing ironclad documented. So if there is a problem, you know exactly. And you know what? If somebody fucks that stuff up and you find out it, it was due to it, it, incompetence is kind of one thing, but outright unethical fucking roadside execution. Like, let, let's just quit fucking around with that stuff, you know, but um, uh, there's some really interesting opportunities for for making this way more accessible and improving the quality with some very modest inputs of technology. I'd be down. Well, I mean, uh, I was telling Luke today, um, uh, we made the mistake of going to Whole Foods and getting some steaks. Uh, their meat's absolutely tasteless. Mm. Mm. Uh, like I, I got some steaks from Salt and Time, and it was just like orders of magnitude better. Huh. And so I told Kate, I'm like, uh, I'm not eating the, uh, like, uh, like normally we'll get meat at Costco, and the Costco meat is so much better. Like the Whole Foods is just so tasteless. So we've, I found like there's in Spicewood, there's a, a local rancher that'll actually sell stuff. Um, I don't know if he does cuts, but it just might be quarters, halves, or whatever. And then there's a there's a meat distributor that's down somewhere in South Austin that you can put in an order and go pick it up. Mm. But man, it's got to be better. I'm like Whole Foods. Like I even I went in there and I told the guy, I'm like, this meat's really tasteless. And he's like, well, you know, like he, he didn't really have any uh, any reason for it. But just historically, sauce. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, you got to put more salt on it. I'm like, no, I salt the shit out of everything. But uh, it's just kind of tasteless. Yeah. Yeah, I just ordered a half a cow from a guy outside of New Braunfels, and it's amazing. It's totally amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty stocked on ground beef. I've been, yeah. I've been chugging through my freezer, so it's been good. But, yeah, I mean, every time we always got a cow, I always ended up with so much ground that now I'm like, okay, I just need to get some cuts. Right, right. Because you know? un unlike, uh, unlike me, uh, I could eat the same meal. I'm be like, oh, ground beef, I'm, I'm good on that. But my kids and the wife are, you know, want, want some variety. variety. Yeah, cowards. Uh, so Rob, when, what year did the paleo solution, that was your first podcast, right? First podcast, first book. Yep. yep. So when, when did the podcast launch? 2010. So you've been right on the heels of the, the book launch. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, Cause I, I feel like that was going on before 2010. Was that going? I, I had that? a blog since 2006, 2007. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cause I remember, I can remember thinking back and when we would do the seminars talking, um, just talking of the early days of CrossFit, like, and even the nutrition space. There, within that network, there wasn't too many places to go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and it you, was just you, Rob. Yeah, it was, it was yeah, hundred yeah, percent. And then uh, the CrossFit forums, mm -hmm. like, were the two beacons of resources. And I just, man, it's fun. Like, it's been a long road, I guess, as I say on my blog, John. It's true, it is a long road. <laughs> it's a long road. And man, I feel like. Because uh, I'm a little bit like you, where I, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I just don't find the need. I, I'm in more group like text messages with my friends that mm -hmm. I want to mm -hmm. engage with more so, which some exist on Instagram, like with these guys. We've got one with some friends. But um, when I do poke around on your feed, man, it's like you've been answering the same shit since 2010. Yeah. How do you stay motivated? To like stay in that fight. Do you see the end state he, where you? No, have? he's got the doctor. Uh, he's got Mugatu at least once a week. When it's like, it's the same look, <laughs> and he's like, I invented the piano necktie, you know, and yelling at people. That's what I imagine, Rob. You remember in uh, yeah, 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 in Zoolander. I yeah. imagine that you have like a Mugatu moment at least once a week. Maybe not weekly, but uh, <laughs> quarterly for sure. Um, I don't know. I, I sincerely like helping people, and uh, as many idiots and knuckleheads as there are out there there are people that legitimately want and need help and like 
if somebody's willing to do the work, dude, I'll, I'll fucking lay down in traffic for them. But it, in, it, you know, in some ways that's where the progression of this stuff has been kind of cool because I can really, I can have the message that I have, like I'm into the stuff I'm into. And if you like that and you find what I'm doing valuable, then great. You know, I'll, I'll try to provide maximum value for you. And then, you know, if people buy into that then they patronize my, my life so I can continue to do that. But I, I legit like helping people and like the, the stories we get, you guys get this stuff too, but I mean, the, the life transformations, the, I'm pretty sure you saved my life. I'm mm -hmm. pretty sure you saved my wife's life, you know, and, and stuff like that. We get a ton of that. And it, it uh, it's, it, it, and what's been cool is being able to step away from social media. I still throw a little stuff out there in the day that I'm like, yeah, gone fishing. Like mm -hmm. this is purely a broadcast medium. I'm not checking messages. I'm a hundred percent over in the, the rebellion, when that day happens, it'll be amazing. But even just the amount that I've pulled back, the folks that I'm interacting with in the rebellion, they're like super warm and friendly and lovable and like they appreciate each other. And we have disagreements, but it's not that that uh, curated algorithmic deal where it's like, okay, Rob, out of 100 people, you and this person would be in a knife fight within 30 seconds. So we'll make sure that you both see each other's shit, right. you know? And, Instead, it's, it's, uh, we've all kind of come together with um, kind of some common goals in mind and supporting each other, and we have a ton of fun with it. So it, 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 interestingly, Google trying to kill me was the best thing that ever happened in my business because I actually enjoy what I'm doing mm -hmm. far more. And I think ultimately, like as we get these MediShares and these, these alternatives to the standard sick care model launched, it may change everything and those fuckers are, are going to eat crow because they, they basically tried to kill us and wipe us off the map and do this. Um, Why? Like, like what was the, uh, like, what was the, there was a grab bag. So some of it was, was dealing with possible insanity. Like really the big group of people they went after were the anti-vaxxers, like the really, really kind of hardcore anti-vaxxers. And I'm a, a middle ground person on, vaccinations like i think that they're incredibly valuable but they also have some risk associated with mm -hmm. it and saying that a vaccine has zero risk or hazard is a lie it's just a fucking lie but it, in general i think for most situations the 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 risk uh, uh, the reward is uh, you know outweighs the risk and everything but a big chunk of the people that that were kind of smashed were people like mercola and some other uh wasn't Ali G. It's it's uh, some other some other dude with a uh, kind of a, a name like that. But they were very very outspoken, super high bandwidth um, anti-vax folks who also happen to be kind of low carb. So the low carb <laughs> and anti-vax kind of it, it's birds of a feather. They 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 tend to 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 go together at least to some degree. And I I think to a degree, I just got kind of dumped into that. Um, a number of other people did too, like uh, Katie, the wellness mama and some other people mm -hmm. that have some remarkable reach and, and uh, it, it really dramatically impacted our, our business, you know? Yeah. Um, How was that appeal process? I mean, I, I assume there is not, there's like, they, they, you know, I had actually complained about it a bunch. Some news outlets talked about me and, and other people specifically. And I had this guy reach out to me who was a, a, charlie at google.com you know he's like hey i work for google i want to check this out like i'm a fan of yours and so i'd send him all this stuff and he's like no this really isn't what's going on um 
you just need to be better about like updating your SEO stuff. And I'm like, wait a second, man. Like two weeks ago, the post that I did on the film, What the Health, where I went through yeah. this vegan documentary, literally not even minute by minute, oftentimes like 15 second chunks. It's like, okay, he claimed this and this is what this, it, fucking 90 hours of work. This thing was front page of Google search returns two weeks ago. It's incredibly popular. Today, it's on page 35 of Google search returns. How does the algorithm, like how is your algorithm so like all knowing or how is this qualitatively improving things when the world has acknowledged that mine is like the best treatment of this film, at least from this angle, how does it go to being on page 35? And he was, oh, uh, and so, yeah, he hemmed and hawed and it was just bullshit. So mm -hmm. it, it, it was, it, it's really interesting with like these, these tech overlords on a variety of topics, whether it's like how we should tackle climate change or what the optimum diet is for sustainability or human health. These folks have just assumed that they know what the truth is. And then be, because they're wealthy and they've been successful in other arenas, they're like, well, we're gonna make this decision for everybody. It's the mm -hmm. most autocratic, like fascist thing. It, it is just mind-blowingly, uh, uh, you know, uh, censorship, uh, uh, you know, I'm just like struggling to even like give it the, mm -hmm. the proper terminology. You know, it's, it's mind-bending that these people that originally were all about bucking the trend and the anti-establishment are so establishment now that they've decided that they know what's best for us and, and are willing to, to go to great lengths to make sure that the information that we're exposed to is curated. Then at the same time, you have fuckers saying that 5G causes COVID and you're like, right. yeah, okay, like burn it all down. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. good, you know? So it's tough, it's really <sighs> tough. Like a legit free society is a tough thing because Science literacy is terrible. People don't give a fuck about educating themselves. Like I, I, I think the ability to pass a, a concept-based physics uh, 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 you know, test doesn't even need to have significant math in it, but just a concept-based phys physics test should be like you know, voting rights and citizenship and shit like that. Like if you can't do that, then the world is so complex that if you don't understand some basic things like that, it is magic and not magic in a good way, like magic as in like the dark ages where somebody's like, well, you know, your old man's sick, we're gonna bleed him with leeches until he bleeds to death. Like it's that type of just like stunning ignorance of, of things, you know, so. So what then did this type of timely censorship play into the, the name of the new platform, Healthy Rebellion? Were there other options that you were trying to, sift through or was it just oh yeah like, there was a lot of a lot of names so there were a lot of names but we were at a, a gig with this guy garrett gunderson he has an outfit called wealth factory really amazing guy and he had an albert camus quote that is something like in an unfree world in a, in a world that's so unfree your your only option is to to make your freedom an act of rebellion yeah. or something yeah. like that and so i i was like oh in an unhealthy no, world it, it, you want to be so healthy that your your very existence is an act of rebellion and so it came out of that like i had that idea and this was actually four months prior to the the google thing because we we had started seeing some really downward trends on facebook like we had been selling products on facebook for a number of years and they did really well feel like they were good and then it was like we can't sell them, we can't sell them. We, we paid some 
super hot top of the food chain agencies to run it. And they're like, we can't sell it. You're being shadow banned. Like we, we, there is no price that we can, we can make this thing work. So that was kind of the first thing where I'm like, fuck, okay, Facebook. So they're it. taking your money, but not putting you, 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 uh, you would make just enough to keep putting a little bit back in. Yeah. But, but there was no way you could run a business off of it, not the way that we had done previously. Mm-hmm. So we had that thing happen with, with Facebook and then the, the Google do you, deal. Do you think like the, like the Google, the Facebook, Twitter, and all these groups kind of get together and are like, hey, we're going to, you know, we got to get rid of these anti-vaxxers because, you know. But uh, like I think the, the thing which is interesting is I think people uh, assume that, you know, liberty, freedom of speech, all these apply to these social media platforms. They're private companies. And so, like, uh, like well, it, it, it's kind of like the media outlets. Like, people are like, "Well, how could the media be dishonest?" I'm like, "The the media is a is a for profit. They the way they make their money is by selling drama and all these other issues. And like, you know, them telling that the world is great doesn't sell papers. The, the difference there is that the the laws, and I'm I'm by no means an expert on this, but the laws that protected, say, like the phone company from if somebody used the phone to put together a terrorist a, attack. The phone company's not liable right. for that. So there's this, this ability to protect um, a platform versus... Uh, a media outlet or uh, something. Versus or, outlet. or yeah. There's two, two P words, platform versus producer or something like that. But the thing is, is not dissimilar to people that we've interacted with in the past. They play both sides of the fence. Are you yeah. really an affiliate or are you a franchise? Well, we'll kind of play both sides of the sure. thing and hope that the uh, FCC doesn't come knocking on our, our door or whatever. And so the, the big gripe that I have is that these, these outlets have played both sides of the fence. If you're going to 100% curate shit, cool, do it. But like, there was a thing where, where on, I forget if it was Twitter, but there was a, a, so a bunch of different things. So there was a history professor that had a bunch of German propaganda reels that were part of his like history of World War II that YouTube took down because it was German Hitler propaganda. And he's like, this is history. And he has it like footnoted as like, okay, this was happening here. And you you know, it's a history class, but they're like, well, there's a bunch of hate speech in here. And I, I think this guy's shit is still off of YouTube. So they just decided this doesn't, this doesn't fly. And there was another situation, forget if it was in Google or, or Twitter where there was like an epidemiologist, a, a, uh, virologists or something, but they were talking about some health concern that they were like, no, we can't talk about this. And they, they censored it uh, effectively saying, we are the experts on this topic. And the guy was like, no, this is my PhD. Like I am the world expert on this shit. Like how can you guys shut this down? So in some of it is goofy algorithms, not being dexterous enough, but some of it is just these, these folks, you know, don't like different topics. Like, are there 80 genders? Well, biologically, it's kind of hard to really support that. You know, X chromosome, Y chromosome, sometimes you have X, X, Y. You know, there's, there's, there's not really that much variation in there when you really get down to like the brass tacks of biology. If you want to have some other social constructs, that's great. But if we're talking about this from a biological perspective, mm-hmm. it, it's a very different story. And these outlets got super freaked out about that. They're like, no, you can't talk about that. So now, uh, like, biological sciences um, have been really negatively impacted from this, this blowback. I was, uh, you might remember Hamilton Staple and some of these other people that are part of the evolutionary studies yeah. program. 
EVOS programs used to be huge. Like people were using these evolutionary study programs to as pre-med and a bunch of different tracks. These things are dead now. And what's really fascinating is what, what these uh, kind of, I, I guess for lack of a better descriptor, like these kind of progressive oriented people did to the concept of evolution what uh, super well-organized religious groups have never been able to do, which is basically run it out of the college scene. And so now we're operating in a world where the reality we're allowed to think about isn't real reality. It's kind of like this virtual reality and like, you know, VR gear, it gets better and better, but it's never real. And if you're not dealing with reality, it's like trying to drive a car that, you know, wearing like, like night vision stuff or something like that. Like you're looking at a, a screen of reality, not reality itself. So there's a time lag and there's resolution loss. And I, I see this being very analogous just to our ability to look at the world and make fucking rational decisions. Like if we are operating, like if, if evolution is evil because it supports the patriarchy, which is kind of the, the thing that's run out there. And, and so then all of evolutionary theory is jettisoned, then we have this massive blind spot. Like maybe this is why uh, China is doing really well in bio virology and we are not because we don't fucking train people in the fundamentals of evolutionary biology anymore because on the social science side, it's a controversial topic, you know, and it makes us face controversial things like, are there actually racial differences? Well, fuck, in COVID, it disproportionately negatively impacts African-Americans because the cut points for African-Americans developing hypertension and diabetes are different and, and earlier than Caucasians. So there's a clear biological yeah. difference there that shouldn't support people being uh, white supremacists or, or anything. But if we can't talk about that difference, then you can't actually address the needs of well, there's marginalized no, There's no way to action it. And then, uh, and then I saw them making excuses and being like, oh, it's a socioeconomic. I'm like, maybe so, but it's still a reality. Still, yeah. There's still like, a reality. It, it's yeah. still a reality of it. It's kind of like, um, you know, I know some people that are like, oh, this uh, COVID-19 thing is bullshit. It's a huge scam. Uh, it's an uh, exercise to take away our rights and went through the whole thing. And I'm like, you maybe could be true, but... Regardless, this is still the reality. There is nowhere to go to dinner. Every place is shut down. Like, uh, like you know, in California, you go to the beach and they're calling the police on mm -hmm. you. Like, I'm like, this is a reality. So whether or not you believe it's bullshit or not, like, I can't take my family to dinner. Right. It's not like I can, like, you know, go destroy the social constructs of what's happening. Like, other people have made decisions that are forcing me to, you know, um, you know, like, shit, we went to the grocery store on, went to three grocery stores, took us two hours on Saturday. You know, I mean, we, you know, you have to wait in line because they only allow a certain amount of people in there. Right. And it's like, you know, social distancing, they go through the whole thing. And it's like, I just waited in the car with the kids and we watched, you know, a movie on my phone while Kate waited in line. And then I went and waited in line and kind of right. like, and I'm like, this is our reality. It sucks. You used to be able to walk into every store, but now this is the change. Whether or not I think it's bullshit or not doesn't affect uh, anything other than the fact that I still got to wait in line. Right. So I, I always love where people are like, you know, constantly trying to push like, oh, this is bullshit. And they're, they have to stand on some soapbox. And I'm like, maybe so, but this is the reality of which we're living in. And until they, you know, decide to reopen this thing and do it. But then at that point, um, I don't know if you read, it was in uh, 1918, the first time when they had that uh, um, big pandemic. I think they lost, I mean, I think it was like two or three million people, which is a huge number. Uh, then all of a sudden when they relaxed everything, the second round came and got like worse. 25 to 30 million people. Yeah. 
So what they are talking about is, okay, hey, like we flattened the curve, we've done this. Now as people go back out, are we going to see this huge spike? And it's like, well, at that point, it's kind of pressure testing whether or not we thought it would work. Right. Right. You know, and then are you healthy enough to survive this thing? But yeah, the, the second wave was the worst of the 1918 pandemic. And what's interesting is people exposed to the first wave were immunized to varying degrees against the second wave. But then the third wave had mutated and changed sufficiently that neither the first nor the second wave exposures did anything for them. And COVID, my understanding of the, the kind of the evolutionary biology on it, it doesn't shuffle genes around at the same rate that influenza viruses do. So it doesn't mutate it at quite the same clip. So in theory, we shouldn't face something like that. But you always have just fucking random events. So, <laughs> well, but yeah. uh, the one thing I... Um... I will say, though, uh, and this is from, you know, you guys have been to Asian countries, but going to Japan and, you know, other ones, um, they are really big upon wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first time and we've made fun of them for well, 20 fucking, you know, it's usually years. because yeah. like, hey, I'm sick. I don't want to get other right. people sick when you kind of learn it. You're like, oh, I, I get it. But uh, I can think of being in Japan and uh, being on the plane and every single person was wearing a mask other than me. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you get on the subways and people are wearing masks and uh, like it just... When I asked one of the guys about it, he's like, well, you know, uh, it's for people that are getting sick, but because we live in such close proximity that like my sickness shouldn't make you sick. So if I got to wear a mask, right. I, I get to wear a mask. And I thought like, man, that makes a ton of sense. But you think about like uh, a proximity just in like in Japan or, you know, Tokyo, whatnot, composed from like here in Texas where, you know, if you don't have to see anybody, you probably don't have to nope. see anybody. Nope. Whereas in Japan, like everything is so dense. So I just wonder if uh, because of like the living structure and really the, the culture that they almost have to action these stuff quickly more or, or it can just explode Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've we've seen that in New York and, and uh, uh, Louisiana, like these areas of pretty high population density, like it just lends itself to the spread very quickly. And then our hospital systems in a lot of these areas every single day are teetering on the brink of being overwhelmed from the background noise of illness that we produce just within our environment and, and, and accidents and homicides and all the rest of that stuff. So then you take something like this that I, I think reasonably when we, when, we, when we have all the data, whatever that means, but this thing's probably going to be, COVID will end up being significantly worse than like the standard flu. It's not going to be anywhere near as bad as some of the worst case predictions of it were, but it, it's bad enough to take a system that is already stressed and just fucking push it over the edge <laughs> a little bit, you know? And, and interestingly, uh, uh, some places like, like Texas where it's a little more rural, the systems aren't quite as maxed out. And, and so they likely will fare a little bit better. But to, to your point, this is one of the challenges that we need to really um, wrap our heads around. The way that Detroit is, needs to be handled shouldn't necessarily be reflective of all of Michigan. But the, the governor of Michigan is handling the whole state as if the whole thing was Detroit. And, like, you get up into that northern part of Michigan, yeah. this fucking good old boys, man. And yeah. so now you have people that are like, well, we're going to make an armed militia and fuck you. And so, like, this ham-handed response ends up getting exactly the opposite yeah. of what you wanted. It doesn't build credibility. And it's kind of like, it, it, and it's tough because it's like, okay, well, within Detroit, we're going to do this. And then people are like, okay, I'm going to get the fuck out of Detroit. And then they split, which... That can be a problem, but these are, are we've had a very non-nuanced handling of this thing. It's just kind of one size fits all and like really blunt tools. 
And to some degree, I kind of get it because again, it's our first rodeo. We don't have experience with this, but we really need to learn from it and understand that maybe the response in, in rural areas can and should be very, very different than, than what it is in urban areas. And one thing we're seeing with both Sweden and Australia, and this was something that like uh, Ioannidis, the guy that's done so much criticism of epidemiological work, he talked about this really early on, but he made the case that based off the data coming out of China, we shouldn't have pulled the kids out of school. Like if you have a specific situation with like an, an aged parent or grandparent at home or they're compromised, then that's kind of one thing. But otherwise, getting those kids at school because they typically develop the, the condition and are asymptomatic, you're massively increasing the herd immunity at, sure. at, at that Well, deal. and then they bring it home to us, which yeah. is, uh, and you get, I've told you guys numerous times that, you know, like I never got sick. The sickness that I've gotten at least once a year since our kids have been in school, like wipes me. Well, and like, that's one thing, like we're coming up on a year of homeschooling and we haven't had like nobody's gotten sick. Dude. Like that's uh, one of those things that I'm just like, thank God. It was like two years ago. I remember where I got an email uh, that was like, oh, there's this thing called fifth disease. It's going around. And like, you know, you'll notice like the kids will get some bumps on their face. And like, I, I got the email and a couple days later, I'm like walking down from the gym after we trained in the morning and like my hips were so sore that I was like, do I have arthritis? Like my knees, everything, like my back started aching and I went and I'm like, I don't feel so good. I just laid on the couch and uh, like didn't get off the couch for two days. And all of a sudden I'm like, get up. I'm like, God damn, I feel terrible. And um, I like went back and read that email and I was like, fifth disease, uh, adult symptoms. And it was like muscle ache, uh, joint ache. And it like went through all the symptoms I had. And I was like, God damn it. These kids get little bumps and I got knocked on my ass for two days. (laughs) Right. And uh, I mean, but uh, like they like the Petri dish that they are at school probably, you know, comes home and brings it home to us and that strengthens us. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, taking all the kids out of school, I mean, yeah, I don't know if that was, but it's pretty amazing how quickly people will give up their rights when you start talking about like, but the children. Right. You know, and then going back to something we talked about earlier, Rob, if you did run a school and the school board in the state, like the liability, Mm -hmm. if you make that call and let's just say they're, who knows what the there's a private university yeah. getting sued right now because people are saying they didn't close it down early enough. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. unfortunate, but like, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer well, is. There. But I yeah. mean, like, uh, like, like, uh, how are you supposed to sue if you get the flu? Like, who are you suing on that? Oh, because you didn't close down. So now I'm like, okay, so we live in this country where you're free to make your own decisions, but then you can sue people if like they're, if uh, you know, however yeah. the decision works. I don't works. know the legal mechanism, but in terms of like, Logically, it's like, well, the government has determined that this quarantine or stay-at-home protocol is what's safest. Well, this school has decided to go against that, so I think that's wrong. Pay me money. Like, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I see the logical thought. I don't agree with it, per se, but I see why people would respond that way. I, I'm just curious if there is an actual, like, civil case that could be made for that. I guess we'll find out with this private university, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, I don't know. That's the one thing that just keeps tripping me out is just the, the social, like the risk. How, how, do you, how do you calculate this risk? People are going to be assholes. They're going to want, maybe rightfully so, but they're going to want to, if something goes tits up, they're going to want to be reimbursed for it because they don't want to take ownership of it. They, they want to be protected by... Which will be the end of Western yeah. civilization. Is well, it's the, uh, the people legal. not shouldering yeah. the, the responsibility of being yeah. like, okay, if uh, 
if the like, because here here was an interesting one that I saw. Somebody um, made an interesting point. They were like, you know, even if they reduce or relax the regulations, opened restaurants and the whole deal. If you're nervous about it, you can still quarantine. Yeah. Don't feel obligated if you like have like if you're immediately compromised, you have somebody old in the house or like, you know, all these preconditioning like like these are just letting healthy people get out. And like there was a I think this fear that all of a sudden like, oh, we're loosening things up. Well, everything's fine. I'm going to go back mm-hmm. and live your life. And then you're like. Oh, I got sick, and I got you know something I got bad sick happened. Of TCBY, and I'm going to sue TCBY yeah, I mean, for not like. Yeah, and you're like, well, dude, how is that some, not what's going to happen? At right? some point, you gotta um, you gotta take your personal responsibility and say, hey, you know what? If I'm nervous about this, then I should probably fucking stay at home. Right. Right. And if uh, if I'm not nervous about it, and it like it comes and gets me, then I'm gonna fucking battle it out. And driving to and from TCBY is still far more dangerous today. <laughs> right. You're gonna catch well, it. Well, so. uh, they uh, who's it? Chris Como Kumo. Uh, the Cuomo Cuomo. Yeah. He, he contracted it and he had some pretty interesting stuff where he was talking about like, uh, the COVID makes you extremely sick and wants Mm -hmm. you to lay down. And he's like, I had to get up and exercise and like kind of get my lung function. And he was talking about like the worst thing you can do is lay in bed and let this thing just take you. Mm -hmm. Like you got to fight against it. Like you got to get up and move. You got to, you know, and I think he was saying like, uh, you know, I don't know, like walking or riding a bike or Mm -hmm. doing something to try to like, you know, get his, you know, like, to fight it and wondering like how many people are like, because they tell you like, Oh, get sick. Just get off your feet, lay back, drink some fluids. You'll be fine. You get through this. And if that's not the fucking prescription, then that's killing people. Right. You know, people are like, so what do you mean? I got to get up and use my lung function. Well, it'll tax the lungs. So you better use your lungs. Right. I'm here. Use my lungs like a sucker. (laughs) Um, Rob, this is going to be a curveball. Are, are you into movie? Like, do you watch movies, TV shows, shit like that? Very little of Very late. Little. Right, yeah. I'm going to throw it out there anyways. Good. Like you got Andy. Well, it's not so tactical asshole. Like he, people know that stump. Right? Yeah. Or is that, is that private? No, no, he is, he is an asshole and he's tactical. So it, like, it would make sense that he's a tactical asshole. asshole. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, no, like, Andy doesn't hide behind anonymity at all. <laughs> he, he clearly what, like there's the action movie as a, you know, if an operating seal that you watch the inaccuracies there that become nauseating. I would imagine like as a former NFL football player, you watch certain like, like when you watched uh, any, every. I just wish I played on that team. That was yard. That was the, that was the great. I'm telling you, any given what Sunday. The, any given Sunday. Was Jesus. by far the greatest thing I was like. But you're like watching it and you're like comparing it to real life. Well, but like the seals uh, by nature are just so fucking salty. I get like, it. Like that's part of their like makeup. So then like. Of course, Hollywood goes in and it's a little, you know, Charlie Sheenish and like, you know, they have to cash stash. I'm like, uh, dude, come on. Like, we know that these guys are assholes. But my question is, as a biologist, do you ever watch like Jurassic Park? And you're like, doesn't work like that. Fuck this movie or fuck this show. I, I catch things pretty frequently. And there, uh, there's actually a publication, New Scientist. It's a British publication and they will... Um, they will send somebody like a T-shirt or something if you catch something in a, uh, a film. And you have dozens of them? I, I have one that I actually pinged them, and they, they published it. And it was uh, the first Star Trek remake with, like, the, the, new, the new cast oh. and all that stuff. So Spock is standing, and the light is shining on his ear, and it comes through red. Mm-hmm. But he's got... Uh, copper based blood and so it's supposed to be green so it should have been green and not red like any of us if we shine a, a yeah, bright yeah. light you know it's red so I wrote that into them and they're like there's your t-shirt sir so I, I, I see that sometimes but also like 
There are some people that just fucking live to tear shit down and tear it apart. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's a sign of me being old or I'm just mentally weak or feeble or whatever. I just like to sit back and fucking relax. And like, this is also some of like, I'm just constantly doing battle all the time. So like when I go to take in some, some media, I either like it or don't like it. If I like it, I watch it. And if I don't, then I fucking turn it off. The worst part is, is like something comes out, they're like, ah, fire up Rob Wolf again. He's like over there, like throwing his pack, getting his atlot all pushing, you know, looking for his old glasses. Kickstarting them. Oh, and then they're like, oh, here comes Robbie going to do battle again with these five. You know, my favorite one is like uh, some weird fucking study comes out that was done on three people and, you know, somewhere in, uh, you know, France. And it's like, oh, meat is bad. And like instantly people like and Rob will get emails from these people that are like, you know, this whole paleo thing changed my entire life. My hair was falling out. I was dying. It saved everybody. And then the first ones that are like, oh, it's got to be the meat. They throw it out. You're like. I'm really concerned. Yeah, I'm really I concerned. mean, I feel really good, but I'm really concerned. I'm like, fucking go back to what you were doing before, I guess. I, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I, I guess it's... I mean, I've waffled, and we've gone around on, on a variety of things, and maybe it's just kind of experience. You, you get more and more comfortable with where, like, home base is. Like, you know, there's always deviations off of this, this core principle, but I think you just start figuring out, okay, this works pretty good. And, you know, uh, uh, based off my goals and what I want to do, I just keep kind of riffing and iterating on that, you know? So I guess I could see where some chunk of new information would make you wonder. So, so like the cholesterol, cholesterol and lipoproteins, mine runs on, on the high side. My lipoproteins are on the high side. In theory, I should be at an increased risk for cardiovascular disease. Nobody really knows whether I am or not. I have a sneaky suspicion that my, my elevated lipoproteins from a low-carb diet is very, very different than having elevated cholesterol and lipoproteins from a high-carb insulin, you know, hyperinsulinemic diet. Very different mechanisms, very different environment. But at the end of the day, I don't really know. And it, this caused me a fair amount of concern. I'm like, oh, should I do a statin? Well, should I do that? That was like uh, um, Chris Masterjohn's talk yeah, at AHS. Yeah, yeah, And then I eventually, I was like, I know for a fact that if I eat any other way to make my cholesterol or lipoproteins go down, I'm going to feel less well. Mm-hmm. So to some degree, it's like, oh, I'll top off the life insurance. And if I kick the bucket, <laughs> then Nikki will find a better looking husband on the second go around and good... Just yeah, hope he raises the girls. Yeah, but it, yeah, to, yeah, John, John will keep an eye on the girls, <laughs> yeah, and it'll be, be good. But it, but it was, it was basically this thing of like, I feel really good, and I'm motoring along, and I don't know what the fuck else I'm going to do, so I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But there was probably a good three year period of kind of because. I'm on the board of directors of a lipidology clinic, and every time I'd run my blood work, they're like, oh, it's a little on the high side, man. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, like, yeah but yeah. your triglycerides were always so low that they're I... They're super low, you know, inflammation's low. Yeah. But the, the, uh, the challenge there is that in low-carb land, people will be like, as long as your insulin's low, you're good. Just yeah. eat sticks of butter. And it's like, that's ah, maybe not the... Uh, saying that... Uh, an elevated lipoprotein and cholesterol count in a low carb environment is different than in a high carb environment is not, does not absolve you of having some amount of like, well, maybe at least we'll do a coronary calcium scan once a year and see where you're at, which mine's at zero. And mine being a coronary calcium scan of zero when I'm 20, is almost meaningless being almost 50. then it's like, Oh, okay. That's kind of interesting. Like if I've got disease process going on, I should 
be seeing that. So sure. that, that's an entirely different deal. But it's it's not an unequivocal thing. It's not like I just have a 100% get out of jail free card for cardiovascular disease, no, ma- no matter how much I would hope that that would be the how case. How many push-ups can you do? I have no idea. You think you do a set of 40? Pop up on easy. the table, pal. That's yeah, easy. Yeah. All right, so... Uh, well, and I do good ones, like yeah. chest touch. This is like when I see people yeah, doing chin-ups, and, okay. I'm, and I'm like, if you're not touching your clavicle, I don't know what yeah. the fuck you're doing. Like, you like doing well, some sort of blowjob deal, like popping your neck over the top. That, that, that doesn't count. Well, so. the, there was a pretty cool uh, research the, piece that came out where it yeah. was like, you know, they were, they were looking for like, you know, VO2 max and had all these tests that they were trying to gauge uh, to figure out like heart disease and put people at, uh, at risk. And uh, they started doing control with like a max, just one set of max push-ups. Mm-hmm. And it was like, if you could do over 40 push-ups, your chance You're of a heart attack it. was like 0%. Yeah. And then it was like a 30, 20, 10. And if you couldn't get more than 10, then it was like a 30%. Yeah. And uh, that was a greater, a, a, a far greater indicator of heart attack risk than all the other tests that they have. Which it, it, the thing that I would take away from that is you have a pretty good relative strength mm-hmm. story going on there. So... You might be strong, but if you're real overweight, you're, you're not going to get 40 reps. Um, if you're skinny but frail, then you don't have enough muscle to, to do the 40 reps. And so there's kind of it, it's almost like uh, pull-ups are kind of a good barometer yeah. for yeah. your body composition. You know, it's it, if you've got a decent number of pull-ups, then it's hard to do pull-ups with a fat ass. Yeah, yeah. which which yeah. is uh, what we observe with the Marines. You know, because the Marines have pull-ups in their in their PT test, and so it's hard to be a fat Marine and do pull-ups. Right. Uh, then when we started, you know, working with the U S army, we're like, what about putting pull-ups into the, into the PT test? And they were like, no, we will do whatever it takes, but we can't put pull-ups in. And they did do whatever it takes is crazy amount of equipment gear and if they had just put a pull-up bar in, they would have fixed all these problems, but they'd spent and like, uh, it was a bunch of people sitting together. Like it reminds me of, um, you know, we did the presidential physical fitness test. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get the pull-ups, but I could get the arm hang. Right. And like, I just remember like every time the pull-ups came over, everybody was lobbying for every reason to not do them other than the people that could do pull-ups. Right. right. You know, so I could see like, one oh, kid in gymnastics. Yeah. That's like yeah. jacked at that's six like, years old. Yeah, yeah. Dude, he's doing like false grip pull-ups. Right. Uh, that's reminds me of a lot of like what we dealt in the military. A whole bunch. I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, none of these guys can do fucking pull-ups. No wonder they don't want pull-ups in this fucking right. deal. Right. So what else we got, Nicole? Can we get anything else to wind up Rob Wolf? I need to pee again. I know that. If you got to go to the restroom, no, we, believe me, we'll just kind of extend it. Do you have any resources for, because I know people are at home now, and they're re-watching all these health vegan documentary mm-hmm. propagandas. Do you have any places to direct them for the Game Changer? Uh, so I did this review of Game Changer. If you, if you do search specifically Rob Wolf Game Changer, then you can find it. it. Used to, you just search Game Changer, Game Changer Film, and it was the second or third, you know, uh, uh, response on that. But you can find that. Um, Diana Rogers and I have been working on a book and film called Sacred Cow, and that's due out in July. And uh, I, I got to say, I'm, I'm pretty fucking impressed with it. Like, uh, if you've read some of Malcolm Gladwell's stuff, mm-hmm. like there are these big story arcs and, oh, Morgan Burlog found himself standing in a field in northern Mexico looking to field. Like, we did that. Not all the way through it. If I had had another six months to a year, that thing would have been that, that quality all the way through. But most of it is that degree of quality, and we cover the 
environmental, ethical, and health considerations of eating meat. And I, I think we do a good job, and then the film supports that. And we have some great pieces. Um, uh, uh, just as an aside, like, like when people are noodling on this stuff, there are 30 to 60 million women and children around the world that are not allowed to own property other than animals. And their only route to both food and financial security is the ability to take grazing animals around. And so this massive push of veganism, particularly from like the World Health Organization, has some places like in, in South America, in Africa, really concerned and up in arms because they're like, do you realize what this would do to these people? Like culturally, these women can't own property. The only reason that they're able to provide for themselves and their families is through animal husbandry. So there's some, we, man, we, we hit the gold mine on a couple of things like that. Some really fascinating pieces, but that's due out in July. Maybe you guys will no, launch I'm, on that. I'm super stoked. July uh, 14th. Are you launching it online? Is it going to any? It's, it, it, it's still a little up in the air because uh, uh, it, it looks, knock on wood, it looks like it's going to be picked up as a Netflix original, Ooh. which is, is pretty big. And so it's not a hundred percent deal done yet. How can but we lobby for how, how can we get our people to lobby? I, so one, they were, they were really excited about it. And then I think the fact that Hollywood is shut down, I, I even though a lot of things feel so like Sundance was shut down and everything. So people are just kind of doing direct to video, but at the same time, like Hollywood does know how long they will be shut down. So I think that they're going to be pretty hungry for anything new like that. And they were super excited about the film early on, like even even in the very rough cut deal. Do you, yeah. do you feel like the uh, World Health Organization has kind of jumped the shark a little bit? Uh, just, I, it, I just posted something today. Like they, they had a, an infographic that was like, Avoid yeah. butter, yeah, yeah. eat seed oils, and avoid um, red meat. I, and I'm just like they've kind of been off my radar, and now this whole deal, like you know, with like them coming forward in this World Health Organization, and then I started kind of just doing a little bit of understanding of how they're funded and how they kind of work. Uh, that is by far one of the strangest organizations. Yeah. And like, and then they have all these private donors that are like the Bill Gates yeah. and all these people that are like they're uh, like it's. They're voted on by the UN, but like there's these boards and these honorary people and people donate money. And I'm like, this thing looks like a it's fucking shit show. Yeah. This looks like a, 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 you know, a way for people to push whatever their personal agenda yeah. is because they'll take anybody's money. Right. And uh, actually, you know what? I thought Trump being like, you know what? We're not going to fund these guys until we can figure out like this thing a little bit better. Right. I mean, we're just writing them a blank check and, you know, if they're not looking out for our interests, which I thought was a pretty interesting because no other president would do that. Now, whether or not that kind of comes to fruition or at all, because uh, if you look at who the big supporters of the WHO are, it's like... It's like, uh, um, uh, who is it? Uh, the, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, but, and, but then, and then also the, you know, um, uh, who's uh, Zuckerberg's mm, wife, mm, like Chan Zuckerberg. Mm, I mean, like looking at these people, you're like, holy shit, these are, you know, the, you know, the major movers and shakers within this deal are their, their major sponsors. Right. So pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You, you think Bill Gates ran enough modeling to realize he's like, well, we have too many people for me to survive. So how do we trim this back a little bit? Because, <laughs> I mean, if you think about like those guys get to a point where he's like, you know, let's bring in and model this thing. How much available land do we have? What are resources? Look at rising tides. And they he's probably done a projection over like the whole earth and the survivability. And as you increase in, in volume of population, it starts looking like, you know, a steadier downstream. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's some of the people that I like, like Matt Ridley, they make the case that 
One, you know, so like this regenerative agriculture could be a legit solution in this story. Just with, it, it, there's a possibility that we could be producing five to eight times more food than we are now if we did it regeneratively. And, and that would be a system that doesn't have all these other external um, externalities like poisoning the Gulf of Mexico and poisoning waterways and stuff like that because of, of uh, synthetic fertilizers and whatnot. Um, uh, I, I'm way more optimistic of kind of letting markets and innovation and, and freedom kind of kind of drive this thing and not, not you know, 100% willy-nilly. We need to keep some, some eyes on the prize, but it, it's incredible what like we're 20 years away, 15, 20 years away from having every human being on the planet largely lifted out of abject poverty. But many of the recommendations that are being made to fight climate change will guarantee that these people are in poverty forever. And when we lift people out, when people are lifted out of poverty, when they lift themselves out of poverty, a couple of things happen. Women become educated, they enter the workforce more, family sizes decrease because people are more wealthy and affluent. And, and although that's been an energy intensive process throughout history, like westernized, more developed cultures tend to use more, more materials than less developed cultures, that's starting to change. Like there's a, a like you just look at like aluminum cans, like the aluminum can of, a, of our childhood, if I cracked you on the head with it, it would fucking hurt. And now it's like aluminum foil. And sure. so it, some of these uh, systems engineer folks that I, I follow, they're basically projecting that we're going to be able to do more and more and more with less and less and less, so long as we don't fuck the whole system up. You know, and, and, and in my mind, that's just like this like mega socialistic, like, like top-down managed kind of process. And so, but to your point, I don't really see Bill Gates modeling things that way. Like I see them modeling things in a way that it really paints like growing meat in a vat as like a viable option. And it, it, it's insanity. Like it doesn't follow thermodynamics or, or energy use or anything. So. So there could be, that could be why they're kind of driving some of this stuff that direction. Um, they're definitely, this was one of my, my um, quips about uh, why Sweden would be as, as avant-garde as they were with the approach that they took to COVID. Their main liability is old people right now. So if they were to have something that came through and removed 10, 15% of their old person population in a matter of weeks and it's in this real tear jerky, oh fuck, how did that happen deal? Then it's like, those guys are footloose and fancy free. They just pressed a reset button on their demographic yeah. challenges that they're facing. So uh, the, the cynical me was like, well, of course they would be excited mm -hmm. for that because their most liability ridden slice of the population is that the, the one that's most likely to get removed. Do you think uh the folks at the top think like that? Like, is that I think some people yeah. do. Like when we were, I told our, our clinic that at some point we would, because part of the way we sold the, the risk analysis stuff to cops and firefighters was that they would live longer. And part of my thing was, hey, you, you put in your 20 years, you want to you wanna get that pension as long as you can. Most <laughs> like, of you guys- No, we want these guys well, to die so we can get their pension well, money. So I, what I said was we will be at an event and one of the people, and these are different buckets of money. The bucket of money that deals with healthcare is different than the bucket of money that, that deals with uh, pensions. And I said, someday we'll be there and the HR person who is in charge of pensions will hear what we're saying and they will freak the fuck out. And we were in Boston, we were doing a presentation and this woman stood up and she raised her hand and she was like, 
So you're saying that the, the, the average lifespan of law enforcement right now is 56 years in, in the United States, and it could put it on parity with, with regular lifespan, which is 78 years? And I said, yes. And like, I could just see her eyes spin, and I'm like, you're in HR and you deal with pensions, don't you? And like, everybody in the room started laughing. And mm -hmm. so, I mean, <laughs> some people do get that, but this is, yeah, yeah, like the underfunded pension right. liability but that's like a single, whole other fascinating topic but yeah because you built the whole budget off of actuary tables variable yeah it's the actuary charts oh, yeah, yeah. i mean they they know exactly how long people you know live and they mm -hmm. bet on this and you know there's people that put that stuff together mm -hmm. well and they assume a 10 percent year over year increase in the stock market which doesn't always happen which is why all these things are like super underfunded but yeah mm -hmm. different different story yeah and another one of the existential threats that we face that we should be talking about not saying that 5g causes covid wait what's what's the other one that uh, that people are living longer so that'll no, be more just, just uh, all kinds of it, to some degree yeah but just these um from Social Security to like the virtually every pension out there is underfunded based off of what the the projections are that it needs to make. Well, the problem so is because they're robbing the pension funds. I mean, we're paying into it, and it should be growing at a rate that's sustainable. But the problem is, is that they can. You well, know, we have no of, we have no interest rate. We have yeah. no interest rate because we borrow all this money, and if the interest rate reflected reality, then we wouldn't be able to pay the money that we borrowed to spin this whole thing. Or, yeah. I mean, th this is where it gets like down to yeah, brass tacks shit, you know, the fiat currency. And this, again, is another one of these existential crisis things, like uh, the U.S. losing uh, reserve currency status or something like that. Like, it would change everything. Like, it would we would have a hyperinflationary deal and it would be like Weimar Germany for a period of time and a lot of fucking people would die in that process. Yeah, because you got a $20 cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. So Rob, you clearly are like appreciating these threats, right? And, and like, Yeah, I, I try I, not I, to be completely like tinfoil hat, like lunatic, well, but I do. Well, we were going to like present you with a tinfoil crown. <laughs> but, uh, uh, it's called actually the, the Dave Brewer tinfoil hat <laughs> because uh, it's funny because uh, we're on this continuous text chain with Brewer. And, uh, like, Rob will send something, and then there'll just be, like, instantly a picture of a dude in a tinfoil hat. <laughs> and uh, uh, Brewer must have, like, a library of, like, obscure pictures because, like, the ability that he sends them, yeah. it's like he's got them queued up. You're it's like, amazing. Oh. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, what? Uh, I don't even want to see what's in your phone. <laughs> I, I guess my question is, then, do you, ha are, do you think through also, should this event occur? What's the plan with the family? Like, oh yeah, I know, mean, that, uh, moving you're, to Texas you're, was part of that. Your go back or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and and that, it, I want to say this with a little bit of tact, even though I'm not usually good at that. Um, I thought that things were going to get really squirrely in 2010, so like I did a bunch of of planning that um, in this scenario, like we we bought a half cow, we did some stuff, but we were set up in a way we could have lasted four months not leaving the house mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. you know, and assuming you had power. Assuming, well, and I have some contingencies on that too. <laughs> and, and so, um, not as good as I want, but, but we have some contingencies and that's honestly part of the reason why I opted for Texas over Wyoming or Montana. Yeah, it was like it's grid. still cold as fuck there, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we have our own power grid. Yeah, here. We got our own power grid, and, and which I, was huge in terms of us coming here too. Yeah. But even, uh, I remember we were talking about locations and you're like, Texas is hot in the summer, but you can survive a hot summer a lot better. You can survive a frigid a or, or a cold yeah. winter. Yeah, 
Yeah, so we made a lot of decisions around that. And there's a quality of life deal. There's a, a cultural element that even though I'm not a religious person, I kind of appreciate mm -hmm. some of the value systems of the people around me that, that have that. I'm not the person that moved here to try to change their culture. I came here to appreciate it and like try to, try to add to it if I, I possibly can. But you know, we did probably the most important thing that we, we did in this thing is that I knew that something like a pandemic was a potentiality and that there were going to be some knock-on effects to that. So there wasn't even a 10-minute period where I was like, oh, fuck, like, oh, the country could be shut down, like, the, the, there could be food shortages. I was like, yeah, of course that can. Like, I had already gone through that, and I think for a whole lot of people, they had days or weeks of just shock. Oh, what am I doing? What's going to go on? Whereas, like, we had a, a pretty good plan in place, and I mean having friends like you guys within a one hour drive also is, is handy because it, just in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, if things get squirrely enough, like we've, we've got people to lean on and we're developing really good friends in the New Brunfels area too. But yeah, we had put some, some thought both with like financial, food, energy, medical stuff, like some, some fairly good contingency planning, which I mean, we live in hurricane environment. We live in an area where there could be a, a large earthquake. So there's just shit like that that could could happen that just having a little bit of contingency planning around could could change things from being really horrible to like, oh, that was kind of an adventure. Like we, uh, you know, we, we turned it into a, an adventure for the kids or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like, um, and I was telling these guys, I like kind of a little embarrassed. I mean, we have a really good situation here, obviously with the gym and the office. But I mean, part of the move here was to kind of create something where if something bad did happen, mm -hmm. we were kind of self-sequestered. We could, you know, and it really hasn't been other than the homeschooling issue. But um, yeah, really can't bitch. I mean, I like uh, I got hit up by some people like uh, Sin, Mar um, Sin um, mm -hmm. Martinez, uh, yeah, Martinez up in like New York City. He's like, people haven't left, you know, their apartments in fucking weeks. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, well, things really aren't like that here in Texas. Right. You know, but it's also look at the population density yep. and how it all works and this. I mean, it's it's pretty insane. Yeah, we had a good friend shoot some video. They they live in Vancouver, B.C., and um, I guess kind of like a condo complex or something, but everybody goes out on the, the balconies in the evening. This one gal was playing her, her trumpet. Somebody else would play guitar. Other people would just bang pots and pans together. And I pinged them back, and I'm like, is that the only outside time you guys get? And they're like, yeah, and I'm all, oh, Whoa, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah. Man. yeah. You know, and like, where's, yeah, we have a little bit of acreage, and like, we go to the community trails, and we wave at people. But it, th this is some of the stuff that, like, going to the beach and surfing shouldn't be a problem. Like, it, 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 you know... <laughs> Maintain some social distancing, yeah. make the taco truck like, uh, okay, you got to uh, wait in line and there's some handy wipes and stuff. But God, we went so ridiculously over the top. And the, 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 a lot of people who are criticizing this thing early on were saying that we're going to have worse effects due to the, the unintended consequences than the disease itself. Oh, yeah. I'm starting like suicides to kind of, and yeah, stuff. suicides and all that stuff. And I'm starting to kind of side with that. But it's largely an outgrowth of like these really power hungry, um, local and state, you know, uh, politicians that just do these draconian. Think so? well, yeah. Did you see yeah. the New Jersey, uh, uh, the governor of New Jersey, um, they was a, a protest or, you know, people got together for some form of, you know, the right to for assembly. And, uh, they were like, you know, you're not allowed to do this, this is our constitutional right. And he basically was like the, the constitution suspended. Right. And like, 
Like, there's no provision in the Constitution that says that the right, you know, in, in face of a pandemic, your rights are, are you know, null and void. And so, uh, you know, and they asked him, he's like, well, I wasn't thinking about the Constitution. And you're like, well, it should that, you know, I mean, that document was written in such a way that this is should be your first slot. The, the first spot, spot to go to. Yeah. For like, okay, guys. Yeah. Uh, and so it's yeah. pretty amazing that, like, these, you know, people have kind of taken this approach where it's like, you know, because of this, we have this right to be able to suspend your rights. And I'm like, ah, man, that's a, that's a really slippery, slippery slope. Yeah, and it, it, not to spin this off into political land, but I, I see this being kind of a, a hangover, like the sign of the times that we have. Like, no, in the last election cycle, I didn't get the sense that very many people understood, like, knock-on consequences. It's like, if you're a dick to people, then people are going to respond in a particular way. And then similarly, uh, in this scenario... When these politicians do things that are not well thought out, not well communicated, and really kind of draconian, you get exactly the opposite response. Whereas it's like, okay, here's what we're doing today, and here's what we see as being the risk. Here's what the challenges are. Like, you know, just treating us like like adults instead of acting like everybody's a, a child. Peter Atia had a a guy on who was an expert on the 1918 pandemic and what was. Interesting in that scenario, there were a couple of cities like San Francisco, interestingly, and a couple other places that were really committed to being 100% honest and transparent with people, and things went far better. They actually had more people die, but they had far less social breakdown. And the, the reason why people died wasn't necessarily because of the, the, the way that it was handled. It was just kind of it's New York, like luck of the draw, population density some stuff like that, but where a lot of places like Philadelphia, um, a, a lot of other cities virtually became failed states because people no longer trusted the government or each other at all because they were lying to them. They would go from, there's nothing to fear, nothing to fear, nothing to fear. Oh, fuck, the world's going to end. And then people were like, okay, I don't know what to believe, and I'm not going to believe you. And then it, like all the credibility is gone, and I, I feel like from from almost every level like we've had horrible yeah. representation in that yeah. way you know like like just fucking be honest and like tell people okay today this is our best understanding of what's going on we have like an 80 percent you know understanding of this and tomorrow we'll understand it better and fuck you in the media for doing <laughs> a, a, a a you know a a two-second soundbite of a, a three-minute yeah. discussion or a three-hour discussion or a three-hour discussion you know yeah. And and so yeah, we've really done ourselves a, a disservice in that regard. The, I think it made it way worse. Yeah, the the sound bites side by side of the contrary statements of either news anchors or you know political figures, and with the dates that are three days apart, like people forget that the internet does not forget. Right, they have cattle. They the internet has cataloged <laughs> everything, and like just three days, the, how the stories flip, and how you can. And granted, now that is. A soundbite. I'm not sure whether or not it was preceded or, mm -hmm. you know, qualified as like, hey, we made the wrong call or editorial asked. Nobody ever does that. No, I, nobody I, ever I, comes in and says likely, that they're right? wrong. But man, like, how, I'm thinking exactly like if you if there's a sliver of trust in that outlet, like, how can you even? But people do. Right. People do. You know. Right. It's crazy, man. So, what do you think? Do you have any um, uh, 
estimates on how you think socially we're going to be able to bounce back from this? Do, what do you think is going to change? I mean, like, for example, you know, the jujitsu studio, do you think there's going to be pressure there? Or do you think it's just going to, it all depends on whether or not there's going to be. I think it's going to be really different from place to place. Like New Brunfels is going to be shockingly different than Brooklyn, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and it probably should be, you know, it, uh, I, I do one thing it, we came back from Costa Rica, right. As this thing was cycling up and like going through immigration customs was a fucking disaster. And like my desire to travel internationally now is like just barely, you know, north of zero. Um, and I can imagine like all manner of onerous, oh, you have to go, go do a medical screen and then we're checking your temperature and I'm sticking this up your butt. And it's just like, oh, fuck you guys. I'll go to the Florida Keys. Like I'm not traveling yeah, yeah. internationally anymore. So I, I could definitely see- You gotta find that pool. <laughs> that pool, yeah. <laughs> do a little uh, pressure check on the, the immune system. Um, so I, I definitely what was the process? I, I like. I, I mean, we, we haven't traveled internationally. So long and so like on edge and like it, it was just crazy. I remember when we came back from Mexico. It was, eh, it, was it was annoying, but like this time really perked me up. Or I'm like, fuck this. Like it, it, this just made null and void the whole like stress relief of the previous like two weeks of being, oh, being gone, you know? It's like, Jesus Christ. So, and I could see was that. Was that coming into the United States? Coming in the United States. Where yeah. were they actually doing some form of like checking on every person? They were not, but there were extra dogs and extra this. And it, it was just kind of a shit show. And just people seemed like super on edge, like the people involved. With was that it, Houston? Houston? It was Houston, yeah. yeah. Like Could you imagine was, L.A.? Oh. Uh, or like New Jersey, oh, New Jersey, Newark. I hate that fucking Oh, uh, yeah. Just yeah. The, the, the dirt. Mm. Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm curious how travel is going to change. I, I think that that may change significantly. Um, it is interesting. Like, jujitsu. it'll be interesting to see how schools bounce back from that. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I can't think of something more amenable to catching, you know, SARS-CoV-2 than, like... <laughs> Hugging each other yeah. and breathing on each other. Yeah. It's kind of like... Mouth breathing and... Yeah. How well, it, I mean, uh, um, every time I go to uh, get shoulder PT, they do uh, like... Um, uh, they'll, they'll take my temperature on yeah. my forehead. The only problem is it keeps coming back at like 97.6. And I'm like, how accurate is this thing? Like the one day it was like 96. And I'm like, like this thing... They're like, well, at least you aren't warm. I'm like, ah, what am I fucking dead? You know, like, so it just goes to show, like, I, I've had like one accurate reading of them, and they're like, well, these things are pretty inaccurate. I'm like, you can't. Then why are you doing it? I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, you can't fucking bring me and check my temperature and then tell me it's inaccurate. If it's reporting like 96, then then you could have a mild fever, which is all you need, and yeah. you're just normal. So yeah, yeah. no, it's that's where yeah, I was funny. like, and they they keep being like, well, these things aren't very accurate. I'm like, they what? <laughs> What the fuck are we doing? I'm like, you know what? Just keister the thermometer then. Right. Let's go in the butt. Be accurate. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Thorough. Yeah. So it, it, just turn or drop pants. You're like, just insert. Just be gentle. Make eye contact. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see how many um, CrossFit gyms yeah, navigate yeah. the scene. Like I, what do you I, think on that? You think, uh, I mean, it probably wouldn't be a good time to have a traveling international seminar business. And somebody that certif or certifies or, you know, loans your name to a, a gym, which has been closed. Right. So how does that bounce back? I don't know. I mean, as, as HQ, I think that they're probably moneyed enough that they can, they can weather a good storm. But I've seen very, very few well-run gyms over the course of time, you know, and those people 
typically kind of lived hand to mouth anyway. Mm -hmm. I think, I, I put it this way, I'm gonna be scanning um, eBay and the, yeah. the, 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 I'm gonna be looking for a lot of cheap gear here coming up when, when things start sort of opening back up. Dude. And, and, and it's possible that, that some people may, may navigate this because if you think about it, like for a landlord, if they've had somebody there that's been okay, then it's kind of like, well, I don't want to kick them out because I'm going to have to find somebody else anyway. So there's going to be the lag time on that. So I could see that potentially go favorably. But the other flip side of this is that all these people that work their balls off to barely make any money in this super commoditized space, they may just be like, fuck it. Yeah, I'm going to work yeah. out in my garage and you guys come over. Yeah. And like, you know, I could, I could see the garage gym becoming Dude, uh, yeah. we're seeing it. I mean, yeah. that's what we've been, we've been looking at, like the, the rise of the garage gym. Uh, I mean, shit, yesterday I sent Luke a link, uh, Facebook Marketplace popped up and this guy was selling a bunch of like, like 100, 105, 115, 120, 125, 130 sets of iron grip dumbbells. Mm. And it was like, make an offer. I sent it to Luke and, and like, his message was like, who's going to, who, who's going to come get these? Yeah. Who, this is no good for like anybody. Yeah. Like, I'm, us. I, yeah. Like, I'm, <laughs> and I was like, I, I sent it to him. Like I should have just in sent the guy an offer and then I sent it to Luke and we kind of like made some banter and then I went back on there because I'm like fuck it like let's send the intern to get these tomorrow like we could this many iron grips like we'll be stoked to have them deleted on. off oh wow I mean it was under 60 minutes wow so when I saw it popped up it was like four minutes brand new and I sent it to Luke and then like I went back a little bit later off hmm. either that or they'll pop back up maybe he took it down because normally people put sold but that shit was done and I'm like who the fuck in this area is going around with 130 dumbbells? It's not us. He's taking 130s for a ride without our permission. Yeah. I'll tell you who it was. It's a that, damn Sasquatch. That damn Rob Wolf. That's who. Oh, yeah. So, like, I've, I've, been, uh, I've been scanning, looking for obscure stuff. I mean, the, probably the 10s and 20s and the 30s are probably going for, like, you know, $10,000 a piece. Mm -hmm. But there's got to be some, like, real crazy obscure shit that only we would want. We'd be like, ooh, look at that piece. Right. Right. Yeah. So... I'm looking. The um, who was telling me about this? It might be Harry Shaw, but he's got a guy. Harry's got around, a guy for everything. Not around here. One of his buddies, maybe in North, I don't know, somewhere else in Texas. But he's got an Atlas stone mold, and he'll go on eBay and he'll hmm. sell a stone every two months because why he just not? Pours it. Yeah, he just pours it. Yeah. It costs him thirty-five bucks. He sells them for one hundred and eighty. Hmm. That's a pretty. I'm curious what the going price for an Atlas stone is right now. Maybe we have the intern just set up shop and we can make power athlete Atlas stones out of uh, Well, we had Atlas stones. Remember, they were we left them at Balboa because they we couldn't get them on the trailer. Yes. Well, you spent <laughs> you did a day trip with the intern at that time, Bo Colombo. Yeah, uh, that's right. Did help Doctor Tom. And dog to go get Doctor Tom's ten thousand pounds of Atlas stones. <laughs> <laughs> we left him in a trailer. Oh, and then towed him back, and they read. Balboa, we could lift three of them. Like there's a dude. He had like a 300 pound stone that we just set up as a stool. Right. <laughs> it's just in there as a stool. We're like, there, nobody's lifting this fucking thing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm hoping there's uh, that when this thing kind of calms down, people go to unload maybe their garage gyms. And but I can't really think other than I love a fucking full set of iron grip dumbbells. Mm -hmm. I remember my, I've told you this, Mike Rojas, who's the uh, owner, we used to train together, and I like had him quote me probably like two or three times, uh, like the the, the the cost of getting like a full set of iron grips. Mm -hmm. And I remember every time he got it, I was like, fuck, I can't spend 17 grand on dumbbells. Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm -hmm. quote it again. Maybe it'll come down a little bit. Even yeah. with the discount, it's like with a discount, I'll give it to you for 12. I'm like, I can't spend $12,000 on dumbbells. 
It's a shame. It's ah, nice. But somebody else will. <laughs> I'm hoping somebody else <laughs> and will, and then, we can, right get, and then we can yeah. get all. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we, we had, uh, who was the Phoenix Suns strength coach? That Corey we, Schlesinger. Yeah, so we had Corey on, on, and we were talking about this very thing, and he's like, yeah, one of the guys, one of the basketball players, bought a whole set of iron grip dumbbells online, and uh, he sent me to go pick them up because he was kind of too embarrassed that he was, you know, on Facebook or Craigslist, whatever, trying to score dumbbells. And so, like, they go over there, and the guy's like, aren't you? And he's like, oh, fuck. So I was like, man, that's right up my alley. <laughs> you know, at times I, uh, that, that's happened to me. People are like, are you the dude that played for the Chiefs? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Just give me the dumbbells. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, that happened on our pitch arc. The guy had been to the CrossFit football seminar and, like, the whole thing. He's like, I'm selling this to John Walmart. I'm like, ah, oh, Did you hammer him for a discount? Uh, Autograph discount. Uh, when I went down there, I was normally my style is I'm like, hey, let me look at it, and then I'll beat him up on the price. When he started telling me he went to the seminar and everything, I'm like, oh, I'm not beating this guy on the price. <laughs> Just fucking, I'll pay you for it. And TC's like, I thought you were going to beat him up on the price. I'm like, ah, but I, I don't want him to get on the internet and be like, I met that Walmart guy and he fucking screwed me out of 200 bucks on this pitch shark that I was selling at 50% off. And a seminar. <laughs> so I just paid him his money. But thank God we got that pitch shark. Anything, uh, any like new tech coming out of this deal that you're plugged into out of the like COVID response or detection or? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, 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 I yeah. don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. What, like, uh, what do you think yeah. Rob Wolf's, uh, Recipe for survivability of COVID-19. I mean, obviously strengthening your immune system, but like, you know, things like, uh, you know, vitamin D, making sure you're mm-hmm. getting outside exercise. Um, I saw an interesting one they talked about, you know, in terms of like, you know, strengthening immune function exercises orders of magnitude better than anything you can. I just wonder if there's going to be going forward, if there's going to be a new narrative about, you know, eat well, sleep, train, stay in shape. As a, as almost like you know, because I, I don't think people can wrap their head around almost their like health, civic duty. Yeah, and being like, yeah. hey, you know, fight the the spread of COVID nineteen by making sure that you're not a fucking lazy fat fuck. It, it, it's it, I I think that there's a legit opportunity around that. The challenge is going to be like, what's the messaging? It's like low fat, high carb. Okay, that works for some people. Well, the WFO, uh, I mean, the WHO, they push that shit. Right. When I, as soon as you posted yeah. that thing, I got on there and I looked at their uh, diet recommendations and I'm like, this is the same, this is the same yeah. bullshit. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the, the circle jerk that we get into. It's like, we're going to get healthy. And then you give people shitty uh, yeah. options on that, you know? And it, again, it's all, bought out uh the bill and melinda gates foundation is super uh, deeply invested in these like uh fake protein you know vegan protein sources and stuff like that so um that's definitely going to be a a thing but this is something that has perplexed me for ages like if you're real right wing you know kind of kind of patriotic being healthy is like something you do to you know take care of yourself, be a rugged individual, and also, you know, to be a good American or whatever. Being healthy should be like the, the you know, the goose-stepping, like, like socialist deal, too, because you need to be, you know, cost the collective as little as you possibly can. So it, it's perplexing that that 
is um, the one thing they should have. The one in thing they should have they in don't. common, and they, they, they don't. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, uh, I, dude, uh, just like we talked about earlier, and sitting next to that guy and being like, you can't have a socialized healthcare with people that don't give a fuck about your health. Right. Because this person, you care about your health, so you're doing the best to make sure that you're not a drain. Somebody else is over there and, like, you know, fucking celebrating a new Doritos party because they just released a new flavor. Right. And, you know, or somebody that's like, oh, well, you know, I. You know, I'm 400 pounds overweight, but you know this, and it's not my fault. And, this, and you're like, well, fuck, man. Like, nobody forced the food in your mouth. Right. So it's um, just an interesting observation that, like, you know, to for a standardized and a right to, you know, medical care, you have to have people that understand that, hey, you know what? Like, this might be a right, but you have a right as well to bring yourself in as the healthiest example possible. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Do we cover it all? Yeah. Just a shade under three hours, I believe so. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's nothing for Rob we Wolf. Were, uh, we had to buy, <laughs> we went and bought a new memory card because oh, wow. we were expecting this to go four and a half. Yeah. So I'm a little disappointed. Well, we actually didn't come prepared. Well, and, and we did get a new camera. So we updated our uh, our media from 2009 to actually the new millennia. Nice. I remember I asked Luke, I'm like, hey, can we do this, this, and this? And he's like, no. I'm like, why? He's like, our camera is from 2009. It doesn't have any capabilities. Mm-hmm. I was like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, and you were no, like, like, you couldn't even put a microphone in it so like we're on onboard microphone and like yeah jockeying and it was bad and, so, and then so but then john's like should we get the brand new one i'm like no no it's like and then, you get the last year's <laughs> model yeah, yeah last year's model yeah, yeah so, and then uh i just something about getting fresh shit like fresh electronics man i just it's a lot of money for like to get the flagship right out of the box mm-hmm. off the shelf so we but get, like, start the, cheap getting last year yeah, yeah you know which is yeah. Fucking eons better than the shit we were using. Right, yeah. And so I'm like, wow, this is great. Like, when we look at the video, I'm like, oh, that looked really awful. Like, watching movies from the 90s where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, this camera's not as good. So it's made a big, big, big deal. Yeah. Awesome. And well, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, thank you for coming on for the fifth time on Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast, top 200 in iTunes fitness, people. That's right. Ing. The premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. Ing. Say it. No. Say it. It's uh, 2020. Is, it's the year it's of the bean. It's the year of the no. Ing. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are a longtime listener, good for you. Thank you very much. We, I'm, we're doing it. We are going to be launching a promo where we read your reviews. Oh, so wait. leave a review on iTunes. Get as creative as you want and have you guys ever seen the the Jimmy Kimmel yes, uh, yeah, yeah, shtick where celebrities like celebrities reading. read their tweets? Are you uh, asking for a roast? Uh, I cannot wait to sit and read these. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to have a chance of having your well thought out and creative review read as a promo for Power Athlete Radio, review us on iTunes. Let us know, and we'll read them. Yeah, go look for inspiration. There's literally 150 of them there. Of people, I don't even know where they come up with this stuff. So we've already got a large pile to get through, but Adger's on there. I, I think, uh, um, who's the guy that, uh, um, I'm totally fucking blank on his name from Star Wars, uh, uh, Picard. Dark, um, Dark and um, uh, Yeah, he was also the, uh, Mr. X in the X Men. Um, oh, uh, the actor. Uh, Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart. Yeah, 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 Patrick Stewart. I always imagine whenever I like hear any, as I'm reading these reviews, the voice I hear in my head is Patrick Stewart reading mm. it. Like the classically trained English uh, Shakespearean oh, actor, Sir Patrick. Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he's reading them, and I'm always like, oh, I wonder how this would sound. So, if should Patrick we Stewart. have Heptonstall read the reviews? <laughs> 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 <laughs>
doing his best Patrick Stewart imitation. Yeah. Oh, it's true. Englishman. Yeah. Well, anyways, beyond besides the point, and if you're not following the Healthy Rebellion, if you're not following Rob, if you're not tuned into a podcast, if you're not drinking Element, shame on you. Shame. 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 You know what? Go get within three feet of somebody. Pay the well, price. Well, I don't know. You and uh, McCulkin are pretty close. But we're lap buddies. You know what I mean? Like well, lap, like what like, we, what like we, lap dances. If we ever sit like nap dances together, like, we sit on one another's lap. Oh, like nap dances. Nap dances. <laughs> yeah, we had nap dances together. <laughs> Hat and big move. So, Rob, a nap dance is when you maybe are a little too inebriated and at a strip club. At a strip club with your pals, and they decide to buy you a dance, but mid dance, you, you kind of just take a little nap. Ah, huh? yeah. So it's well worth the money. Yeah. <laughs> so we're at Luke's bachelor party, and uh, Dave Spann hits me up. He's like, "Hey, uh, you got any money? I want to get Luke some dances." So I kick him some dough. I look over, and there's like Luke's passed out asleep, and Spanton's getting the dance. I'm like, "I thought I was paying for Luke." He's like, <laughs> "But he's sitting next well, to." He's like, Luke. "He fell asleep, and you know, I didn't want the girl to feel bad about herself, so I just jumped in as a surrogate." I'm like. Is that a nap dance? Yeah. And so, yeah. And then Luke's over it's classy. there. Classy. Just, and then, like, just randomly taking his hand and putting her on PA. It's just, yeah, ladies, it's a mess. ladies and gentlemen, we're just guys. We're just guys. Sometimes this natural debauchery comes out. This is not a regular thing. We're not. Yeah, well, always, this was your bachelor party. Yeah. And it was just a strip club brunch, you know, on a Tuesday. It's <laughs> <laughs> the longest Tuesday of my life. Uh, all right. Enough about us. Enough about Rob. Enough about this podcast. Let's get on with our lives. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Congratulations. If you've listened this long, you are officially 100 years old. Follow The Healthy Rebellion on Instagram and check out the new film by going to sacredcow.info to learn more. Until next time, bye!